Wait, who's doing the intro? Do you want to do the intro? Me? <laughs> no. Yes. Okay, I'll do the intro. Really? Hello. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Insecure Space, episode <laughs> nine. Um, the Oh, no, that's crossed out. Nine. Uh, so today's topics are who I am and why I'm introducing this show that I have never been on before. Uh, and then some stuff with the hacker space that Stefan is working on. And then some more updates, even more updates, and then some updates from David. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Oh, man. I love it. We, we're going to have you on the show every time now just to do the show. <laughs> <laughs> this was so good. <laughs> so I see there are some changes to this fine podcast. David, perhaps you could tell us about what they are. Wait, so are we actually doing it? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> I wasn't sure. This is great. So, so we started the whole thing. I'm not sure how I'm gonna edit this, but yeah. Um, so we <laughs> we are three people here uh, now: uh, Space Hunt, Cody, and I. And uh, this actually, uh, there is this topic podcast. Oh, what the fuck I'm saying? I'm, I, okay, okay, okay. Let me let me cut that out. Cut. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I was confused. Let me say I was confused. I didn't know if we are actually doing the intro or this is just some joke, but uh, it's happening. So <clears throat> the we we we, <laughs> we are absolutely keeping that in, dude. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> um, so basically, th th because. We last week we tried to record a podcast, but we realized that it's not it's not that easy to to do it because we, it was hard to find new topics. Uh, just uh, just just because of the fact that you know we are only talking about ourselves uh, in the podcast most of the time, uh, and you know after a while you don't really have any more uh, stories to tell. Or I mean, you have, but it it becomes difficult and. Uh, uh, yeah, last week we decided uh, with Space Hunt that we are going to try to have more, <clears throat> try to have more guests on uh, the podcast. So that's why Cody is uh, with us today. And uh, yeah, I, I, we think that it's gonna be it's gonna be a bit, a bit more interactive and uh, and 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 better for the whole thing because it's not just gonna be two of us talking so there's gonna be new things and new experiences so that's gonna change a bit uh, with the podcast but i i don't think that's a problem i really see this as an improvement because uh yeah it was getting uh, really harder and harder to to uh, find new topics and uh and stuff but yeah that's that's for the podcast changes uh, i i think we are done with the intro uh <clears throat> i really not sure how that's gonna look in the final version but uh but yeah, it okay. Let's just start with uh, with with Cody, I guess. Uh, so could you introduce yourself? Like, uh, who am I, or or something? Because uh, yeah, we didn't really plan the introduction, so we are doing it in a spontaneous way. I, I give it to you then. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Yes, I'm used to doing things in a spontaneous way. Um, well, I am Cody. <clears throat> Uh, I and thank you for inviting me. By the way, I really appreciate it. I've watched this podcast before, and uh, it was really cool. So um, I am the creator of the Nullbyte YouTube channel. Uh, I used to be the editor there for about a year, and before that, I was one of the writers. 
Um, but I, before that, I also worked in a lot of like, um, like tech startups. Um, I worked in kind of like a, like an Uber for trucking startup where they were trying to well, basically do Uber for trucking and like, uh, like create an application around that. So I'd worked around technology for a while, but, um, I was also really interested in infosec and Wi-Fi hacking, uh, but I never really thought I could ever make money off of it. It was just something that I was fascinated with. I practiced a lot uh, and I learned a lot about it. But um, yeah, so I now produce videos on the Nullbyte YouTube channel. Um, we shoot like between two and four a week. Um, but I am at the same time going back to school for computer science and I have a student club on campus for students who are, um, interested in learning about like leadership while also going into technology degrees. So I do a whole bunch of stuff, uh, but what kind of ties it all together is I love technology. I think it's super cool and I like the culture around it, especially, um, I have a group of friends who also really like technology, we like making stuff, and we were just kind of looking for an excuse to work together. Uh, I feel like you know, I've worked for a lot of different companies. I even worked for actually Uber for a little bit in their business development department, um, like like tracking down uh, like weird small business owners with restaurants who had like crappy web pages uh, and like they couldn't find the email addresses for these people. So they would hire uh, one of the things that I did was using like the harvester and other like really basic tools to just like pull up email addresses so they could pitch these business owners that were terrible about putting their contact information out there. Oh, was it um, for Uber Eats? Um, yes, it was for Uber Eats. Oh, cool. um, I worked in their Venice office, and um, I did. I didn't really like the the corporate culture. Um, I I realized I love I love tech startups because they allow mm -hmm. anybody to be judged on their skill, um, at least in theory. But I also hate tech startups once they get past a certain point because they become very kind of toxic. Um, so I really wanted to work with my friends on something I felt like was important and. Um, I got lucky enough that I started making Nullbyte uh, articles and eventually um, I got to start doing videos as well, which allows me to work with a bigger team. Yeah, oh, uh, I'm not sure how you're gonna cut this together at the end, but we should probably mention that you, like Cody just lost connection, so it's kind of out of order again. Sorry. Yeah, no, yeah, no problem. It's, uh, it should be on in uh, sync again uh yeah i think uh you were uh talking about uh the tech startup how it's uh, really great at first but then it becomes oh. becomes <clears throat> becomes bad and then that's where you cut off at least as far as i good okay remember. i didn't say that much after that yeah um Well, yeah, I, I really enjoyed tech startups because they allow anybody who's really passionate about something to, um, you know, it doesn't matter if you graduated from school. It, I mean, if you're really good at something, it allows you to um, be recognized for it. So I got really interested in uh, research. Uh, I was always good at research. Like um, <laughs> on social media, I was always excellent at finding people with fake profiles. I could always spot that immediately. So I started being paid to do, to do essentially the same thing for businesses. Um, and I thought that was really interesting because it allowed me to get involved in, in way bigger businesses than I ever would have been able to um, you know, work at before. So I just didn't like having no control over the work I was doing. So. Uh, I wanted to produce more stuff with my friends. I really enjoyed having the the decision about who I got to work with. And that's why uh, when we started 
well, when I started writing Nullbyte articles, uh, I knew that I wanted to do a different format that I could have a larger team with. But initially, when I was the editor, I had a uh, a writing team of when they hired me on, I think like four or five people. And of those four or five people, I fired all of them except one. <laughs> um, wow. And the reason was they had no interest in becoming better writers. All of them were decent technical people, but they had poor communication skills or, or were not interested in, in improving their writing skills. Uh, and it was very, it was difficult to work with them. Uh, so I had to start from scratch and I, I pulled together a team of really diverse, interesting, cool people um, who were beginners themselves, but uh, deeply experienced in like different areas. And that's why I kind of started working at Nullbyte and uh, like began to kind of set down roots in the hacker community, start to go to conventions. Um, so that's kind of like why I ended up here doing this. But um, my big focus is on Wi-Fi hacking. I really like um, signals intelligence and uh, OSINT and being able to like find information uh, without actually physically being somewhere. Uh, which is what kind of led me to uh, the part of Wi-Fi that's more uh, learning about what people are doing behind Wi-Fi rather than directly interacting with it. So actually how I got in touch with Spacehoon uh, was because I was doing some research into um, the way that host devices um, like Android phones, uh, iPhones, laptops react to Wi-Fi networks. Uh, and this kind of started when I would just, um, based on some observations, go into a public place and create a, a, a hotspot without a password on my uh, cell phone. And then just watch how like 20 different devices would connect to it, depending on which access point I created. So I started reading some papers, which were super accessible. And I, I recommend to anybody who's curious about the way Wi-Fi works um, by Matthew Van Hoff. And the way he describes something, uh, so first of all, he's a, a, a Wi-Fi security researcher. Um, he knows a ton about the way that like wireless standards work. And uh, the way his papers read, you could just sit there and read them all day because he breaks everything down for you. Like you just like wish that you were like sitting in a class with him because of, of the way that he like talks about all this stuff like in, in such understandable terms. So after reading a couple papers about um, MAC address randomization and how you can defeat it, um, which is basically the way that cell phones that use Wi-Fi try to keep themselves private and not trackable, I, I was really impressed by how many holes he'd found in it and how basic most of them were. Uh, so when I was looking for a platform to start testing, um, like a, a proof of concept of some of the things that Matthew was talking about, um, I was really attracted to the ESP8266 and like Spacewing was by far like the most advanced uh, like <laughs> researcher who'd like actually begun like like modifying it to do like really useful things um, that weren't possible without um, running into some pretty serious limitations with like even the tools that were on Kali Linux. So in the study, um, Matthew was limited by how many fake networks he could create with the tool um, Airbase NG. Mm -hmm. um, so he was only able to create five, but his research still showed that a very small number of popular Wi-Fi network names is able to get the majority of cell phones to decloak themselves, show their real MAC address, and attempt to join. And it's like, whoa. I know of a tool that creates up to a thousand <laughs> fake Wi-Fi networks. Um, like, perhaps this could be used for something interesting. So uh, that's when I reached out on Twitter, and um, I had a couple ideas. And I'm also in the position where I get to be curious about something, uh, try it out, and then if it works, I could write an article about it or produce a video about it and get paid for it. So I haven't wasted my time, and I can still pay my rent. 
Um, so when I first started, had some of these ideas, I tested, I tested them with just the default configuration and it worked quite well, but I wanted to take the next step. And that's where we kind of started collaborating. And he, you know, he actually made modifications to the code in order to test some of the things I was trying and make it more obvious when I was getting feedback, um, because I just didn't understand a couple of the mechanisms or how they were working. Um, cause I was working kind of on the higher end of like, like, like trying to attack the specific device, not like, you know, looking in C++ and trying to figure out like why the hell this thing isn't like changing the way I want it to. Um, so it just made it so much faster to um, be able to answer some of the questions I had. Um, yeah, it was, it was super cool. So that's kind of how I ended up here as well, because we, uh, we got to um, poking around with some things that can be abused in order to learn a lot, a lot of information about someone sitting next to you that just has Wi-Fi enabled on their phone. Um, and that's kind of, yeah, that's how, why I'm here today. I love really how cool. you said, uh, useful tools like that. I'm the first one that did something useful with this chip. <laughs> oh, I mean, there's tons of different <laughs> projects you can do with the ESP 8266, but a, a lot of them are done by people as either a novelty or they're not very well developed. Uh, I hate to stereotype, but your project's very German. Like it's very, it's very organized and like put together compared to, and well-documented compared to the average person's project. I typically, if the person has happened to include like a, like a, a pip install file or like something, like something to install all the requirements, I'm like, oh my God, this person's so courteous. Like, thank you so much for like not making me install every single library. Um, but you've gone the step of actually, like, you have, like, a, you, actually, I think someone in your community, like, put together that page that walks you through each step in, like, a graphical format, even if you don't want to sit through, like, the any of the other yeah. explanations. So, um, yeah, there's just, it. when I look for a good platform, um, I selected the Raspberry Pi because it was cheap and it had a good community to support it and it was well documented. And, I mean, I think the same was true with your project. Really Thanks. Nice. <laughs> yeah, no, I completely <laughs> forgot what I was going to say. Uh, oh yes, because you said useful tools, and I was like, yeah, I actually felt the same way when I started with this because I looked at the other things that were already developed with this chip. Because I was starting with Arduino and stuff, and I was mm. like, but what do I do with this? Because like the, the 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 normal beginner stuff for Arduino is like, oh, bringing a LED to blink and clicking buttons, maybe connect uh, this buzzer thing and make some 8-bit music okay cool but like a million other people have done it it's pretty boring it's not like i can use this outside of my yeah lab or whatever um <laughs> i mean don't get me wrong it's fun and everything but it's Eh, I don't really feel much motivation to do it. And then I saw, oh, wait, there's Bluetooth. Oh, wait, there's Wi-Fi. And uh, I, b I bought both uh, a Bluetooth and an, and, and an ESP. And I quickly found out that the Bluetooth module is pretty boring and uh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> and then I looked more into the ESP and found like, wow, there's a lot you can do here. And I found a lot of forum threads and stuff. And people put hints everywhere Uh, what could be possible like with packet injection you just had to search for the right terms and you would find like pieces of information here and there and I just put them together and, and got something working and originally I tried to get ARP spoofing to work but you can't send um, yeah you can't inject packets while you're connected to a network like because then it needs to be encrypted and everything and the packet injection uh, function that is in the ESP Uh, only does uh, yeah raw Wi-Fi frames and not yeah encrypted packets or anything. 
But then mm. I looked up, uh, or I, I thought a bit about it, and I was like, hmm, but I can still do useful things with it, right? And then I remembered, oh wait, there's a thing called de-offing, because I was playing around with Kali, like, forever ago, and yeah, tried it out, and I was amazed that it actually worked. I couldn't believe it. I was going to ask, have you ever tried disassociation frames as well? Oh yeah, it's sending both, actually. Okay, cool. I actually Just had never to been... Be I was looking. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I... Also, what wanted to add uh, to the <clears throat> Nullbyte thing is if someone uh, listened to the episode about how we got started, um, really interesting. I, I think uh, Nullbyte is mostly the reason or the first thing I actually read about hacking. Uh, really? <clears throat> I mean, it. I don't know how how it actually started, but I remember that like. Uh, I'm not not sure how many years ago, but I started like reading uh, posts on Nullbyte and they were like pretty, pretty exciting, you know, and uh, it, it, it was, you know, for a begin for a beginner, it was really interesting uh, to see all of these things that I didn't know what was happening, but the article, you know, kind of explained it. So I just read like a shit ton of Nullbyte articles and uh, <laughs> that was kind of the reason why I, I actually started learning a bit more about it, you know, uh, more detailed and stuff, uh, which uh, which was then, um, I mean, mostly, you know, I started with Nullbyte, then I started learning a bit, and I thought I could write my own tool, uh, and <laughs> I wrote uh, my first tool, uh, Mitmap, uh, or M-I-T-M-A-P, if that's more of a pronunciation, not sure how to pronounce my own tool, but that's, that's <laughs> for another... They um, so I made that uh, that tool so you can make like fake access points, and and you know I I'm not sure I like a year later uh, uh, yeah there was there is an article in Nullbyte about about it so oh really <laughs> yeah yeah and I was like really surprised because you know uh, basically that's why I started doing doing it and then now there is my tool in Nullbyte so. How cool Crazy. is that? Uh, yeah. Honestly, as a writer for Nullbyte, one of my favorite things was getting to take like a like a person who maybe it's their second or third tool they've ever written and just get it featured and suddenly like a thousand people all download it and give them feedback and run it and maybe fork it and like add features they never thought about. Like that, I'm really happy that got to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty cool. And that, unfortunately, I can't really... Uh, I can't really update the tool and the repo now, so it's a bit uh, out of date at the moment. And I still see people, there are issues uh, going on about it that he came from Nullbyte, but he can't, I don't know, install something. And, you know, uh, at this point, I, I can't really help with that, but <laughs> but it's interesting to see that uh, there are a lot of people still coming from the article and they still find it. Uh, so, so yeah, it's, it's cool. I, I'm... Trying to, I don't know, <laughs> trying to get back to the tool and get uh, get it, you know, updated and 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 all of that stuff. But as I said, it's for Raspberry Pi and and uh, it's it's just really difficult to you know set up an environment and the whole testing everything for the Raspberry Pi. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's kind of working. You just have to do a bit of <clears throat> fixing. But yeah, <laughs> the point is that it's it's. Uh, it's uh, it was really cool that it was featured in Nullbyte um, and and interesting that now we are talking and then basically yeah that's why I started in the first place so 
I just wanted wanted to. You you reminded me of a story I want to tell now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the reason why I'm kind of obsessed with Wi-Fi is probably because when I was like uh, 13 or something, there was like a short time period uh, where uh, like every kiddo had an iPod Touch and played with it. And um, I had one, but we didn't have Wi-Fi uh, at home. And that was a big problem because <laughs> you could only, uh, yeah, I mean, to play together, you needed Wi-Fi uh, and you want to download stuff and, of course, browse the web. And I was really then just getting obsessed how to get Wi-Fi working because my parents didn't want to get a Wi-Fi router. They, they just didn't want to. I mean, now they have, but the only reason they have is because I set it up like years later when they finally <laughs> let me. Um, but they were they were always just fine with Ethernet and and that's it. And they never wanted a, a Wi-Fi router. And I, I but I really wanted to like use my iPod online, you know, and didn't need to like go to my parents' PC or whatever. Uh, I mean, eventually I used the neighbor's Wi-Fi, <laughs> but <laughs> but I was always looking for solutions to get because I it really uh, I couldn't I couldn't believe that there is Ethernet and there is a computer with a Wi-Fi card. Why can't this computer turn this Ethernet into Wi-Fi? But this was like Windows XP times, you know. <laughs> that there was no there was no software that could easily do that. I mean, I'm sure back then if there there were some Linux tools but like nothing was documented you couldn't easily find it or whatever uh, especially for me as a kiddo back then uh, yeah uh, I think <laughs> at some point I found this there was like a uh, Wi-Fi ad hoc tool that everyone was uh, yeah giving tutorials on online uh, but that never worked uh, yeah but I really uh, kind of went into Wi-Fi and kind of <laughs> how it works and installed I think uh, a bit later, I installed Kali on like an old laptop and started with that, trying to trying to crack Wi-Fi networks so I can access them, <laughs> hmm. like breaking handshakes and uh, yeah, uh, breaking cracking WPA2 handshakes on a really old laptop that was already <laughs> old when Windows XP was out. You know? Yeah. Yep. I can. It's not gonna to work that. out. Yeah. 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 I I just but, remember coming back after like letting it run for two days and being like. <laughs> it's just not the, the password's not in the list and i was like no yeah. my computer got so hot for no reason <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh yeah so uh now we're actually working on a project should we mention this now or should i mention it later because i want to talk oh. about the hackerspace Oh, yeah, I should get my stuff out of the way. Um, mm, yeah, let me mention. So the other things that I wanted to uh, mention while I'm here is that um, I'm putting together f uh, seven different cybersecurity workshops um, that are basically little challenges. And then in the end, uh, there's going to be one big capture the flag game that we put together uh, that's going to kind of test people on all the, the different fundamental things we've taught in the challenges we're doing. So we have one on lock picking. We're going to be doing one on Wi-Fi hacking. Um, I'm going to be trying to build like a, a reactive Wi-Fi hacking target where when you break into it, it like lights up a string of NeoPixels or something like that. 
Um, so we need ideas. If anybody's done CTFs that involve a lot of Wi-Fi or a lot of like signal stuff, um, we're definitely looking for ideas. Uh, so I figured I would just mention that to the community. Uh, we're uh, working with a nonprofit called Women's Society of Cyber Jitsu, and they're really awesome and have done a lot of great stuff for women who are trying to get into cybersecurity. So um, yeah, I'm really excited about that. And we definitely need some ideas. Uh, so if especially for like, uh, you know, college students who might have a little bit of experience with coding. Um, we love putting together games that are fun for beginners. So uh, I've gotten a lot of great suggestions just from like putting it out there on Twitter and asking other people. So if you've played some fun Wi-Fi games, then yeah, just let me know because it, it sounds like fun. Um, but then if anybody likes to go to conventions, I'm also um, working with one of my friends, Ian, to uh, submit a... a call for village which is for a surveillance village at defcon so the last time we went to defcon on the way back um we were talking about how we really enjoyed the villages but um the, it kind of felt like there was something missing from um even the theme at that point which was uh like the year before 1984 like right before things turned bad um so this year the theme is um a utopian future because i guess they got tired of being depressed and like and looking at the future as, as <laughs> inevitably bad uh so it's supposed to be like a utopian uh theme um but my friend ian just uh did a series of talks on an open source facial recognition system um that's like basically like a heavy like mass surveillance system that can be deployed using open source um uh software by basically anyone to just show that you know any random company can now take a, a hash of your face when, when you walk by and start logging your behavior matching it to your social media profiles like all this like crazy stuff and it, it costs essentially nothing now um so we thought that it would be really cool to uh, take the kind of creepy um like official chinese social credit score that's tied to your facial hash and like everything you do and turn it into a concept for a surveillance village at defcon so we wanted to integrate different types of surveillance, um, facial recognition surveillance, um, where we have a crawler that's going through um, Instagram, Twitter, and finding people who are mentioning the convention, crawling through their Instagram or, or Twitter feed and extracting the, the facial hashes um, of anybody that appears, uh, and maybe even going a follower too deep, so like uh, doing so for all their followers as well, and then having a database <laughs> of those facial hashes. So anytime somebody who appears on that walks into the room, um, their social media profile uh, and like photos start appearing on a big screen on the wall. <laughs> Um, Ooh, we're that also so creepy. Yes, yeah, yeah. But so also uh, amazing. Yeah. So the thing is, the casino that this is hosted in is doing the exact same thing. So it's not even as though we're doing something that wild and crazy because in the casinos they have facial recognition and everybody who walks into the room that we're doing this in has already been surveilled in order to get there. So you know it's gonna look really crazy because we're gonna basically let you see what the people behind the security cameras see, like when there's a real, real like current facial recognition surveillance systems in play but we're also going to integrate some others like um the the wi-fi surveillance that i was talking about and maybe even try to get into some basic um like cell site stuff where we try to get people's like maybe older cell phones to connect to a, a fake uh, cell site and then pull some information um but all in all um we wanted to show off signals intelligence uh like uh and then some other like really popular methods of surveillance that happen all the time now but just kind of compressed into an experience that makes you um uh, terrified uh but at least aware of all the information that you can give out just by standing in a public space so another one that uh, i'll just throw in that we're gonna try to include is uh the xbox 360 
uh, has a, the, the connect module, which actually creates like a, a laser, it splits up a laser beam and allows you to create a, a rudimentary 3D map of an area that includes depth. Um, so you could do something, uh, either gain analysis where you're like looking at the way somebody walks, or you can break down a, a person into a skeleton with certain proportions. And it's accurate enough that you can distinguish one person by their skeletal proportions. So if you walk into this room, even if we don't know who you are, your skeletal proportions and your face both become instantly a unique hash, which we can match to, you know, any other like information we have that, that could be matched that way. So it's just a really creepy overbearing but i think kind of fun way to create like a social credit score for everybody who like comes into the room and essentially like tie a bunch of stuff together and then give them like a, a printout or something of all the information we've collected uh when they leave that's huh. crazy yeah so it's it's gonna be fun and i I, <laughs> I i thought that we might get in more trouble for the video surveillance until i was reminded that the casinos have some of the most advanced like facial recognition and other surveillance systems in the world so it's probably not gonna be a problem um, uh, it's weird that Defcon is in a casino. Yeah, yeah. People like um, the Infosec community likes to drink a lot, um, and Las Vegas is really good for that. And the casinos kind of have a stranglehold on things. So yeah, they it's it is very weird to be in the casinos because I was there um, for Defcon twenty five, and there was a big to do because the only people that were able to get through the casino without um, being registered in the facial recognition system were the furries who were wearing a full fursuit that had their face covered. But because they were a minority group, um, it was somehow negotiated that they were exempt from that rule. So everybody in the whole casino was surveilled, except these like seven people uh, that were in in, in costumes, wow. fursuits, uh, like going around. And it was uh, it ended up being like a, a like a motherboard or a wired article. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> the surveillance is like incredible there. Like they're, they're very, very aware of everybody who goes in and out and the conventions are no exception. Like they, they have everybody tagged as soon as you come in. That's is it, weird. Is it, um, yeah. Uh, I'm just, I'm just interested in how these face recognition things work as a, like a total noob. How accurate is it? Or do you have to, I don't know, because it feels like, you know, if you just walk by, can you just get like super accurate face data? from you know like a low quality image or how how does that work don't you need like a lot of information or light or like perfect lighting or something or i don't know i'm just in general facial recognition has gotten much better at being able to recognize unique faces um just because there's a lot of unique measurements that can f factor into like a confidence score um when you're taking a facial hash like the amount of data points is like a lot um my friend who worked on this ian had to actually expand the database um like the open source database software he was using to be able to even fit the number of data points that are recorded in a human face so in general you do need a, a relatively high quality um photo but you can get a pretty high probability match even from low low quality video feeds of course, the casinos invest in high-quality, high-resolution, high-refresh rate, so um, they're able to have software that you know zooms in, sharpens, uh, identifies the, the the important points that don't change in a person's face. But really, the scary thing is, like, not only is it relatively easy to acquire the image, but it's incredibly difficult to hide from it. Um, getting fat, getting old, um, things that you would think would really change your appearance, like, do not change the, the distance between your nose and your eyes and your mouth. Um, so... Yeah. 
You know, like uh, there's a lot of stuff that people think will change facial recognition and it, it totally doesn't. Oh, I forgot to mention. So inside the room, we're going to have a face painting competition. And um, <laughs> so um, he was featured. So my friend Ian's research was featured in a whole bunch of like news articles because he found out that the insane clown posse in the United States. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of them. They're very famous. Um, they, uh, their fans are called juggalos and they, they dress, they, they paint their faces like clowns, um, but like scary clowns cause it's intimidating. Um, but the way that they, they paint their faces also do, like totally screws up facial recognition. It like, it really, really fucks it up really bad, uh, because it, it moves the lines of the, the, like the jaw and everything else that the, the computer is trying to recognize. So of everything that he's like, was trying to find to defeat facial recognition, this one band's, um, makeup is just like really, really good at it. Like even better than some makeup that was covered in a news story the year before that was supposed to like create like high contrast and do all this fancy stuff. When he tested it, like his system was still able to recognize that person's face, even, even though like they put all this like supposedly facial recognition defeating makeup on it but when he ran it against fans of this band like it could not it could not figure out who they were and and what is the customer doing with the <clears throat> with this data i mean i i guess they know who is in and who is not in the casino at the moment but are they like or what what is the point um so they keep track of people who were caught cheating Um, they have a database of people who are banned from the casino. Um, so basically the second you walk in the casino, if you've been officially banned, um, somebody is made aware and they're on their way to escort you out. Um, if you're on a national fraud database of someone that like basically like, you know, takes advantage of casinos and you're coming from like Atlantic city, like down to Las Vegas to start a new crime career, they already know who you are. Like they, they pay. Oh, this is a, an interesting point. Um, in the future, there will be services that provide you with, with a list of bad people whose faces you can load onto your security camera to alert you when they're at your door. Oh my God. Because <laughs> you can just, like a, a facial recognition hash is just your face. You take it down as a number, but it's your, it's your face. You can't reverse engineer your face from it, but when your face appears in an image and is converted into a hash and compared against that, it will match. So theoretically, like right now, casinos, like, you know, will have access to a list of people who they do not want in their establishment. But if a casino wanted to be like, hey, other casino, you want to buy a list of people who cheat? It'll save you, you know, millions of dollars. They're like, hell yeah, I do. Like, give it to me. So <laughs> buying and selling other people's biometric data is a real problem. Because um, imagine, you know, you, you're a kid and you steal a piece of candy from a store. It's recorded on the camera. Your face is put in a database that says, this is the thief. And then that database is sold to another store and another store and another store. And suddenly when you go into the store, you're politely asked to leave. You know, like things like that are what's creepy about this whole concept because, you know, your face is your face. Like, what are you going to rip it off? Like if it doesn't serve you well, <laughs> you know, you can change your password, but like good fucking luck changing your face. Like the thing is that, that that's an interesting topic. I, I don't really want to go deep with this, but uh, what do you think about that? Uh... You know, just your fingerprint. Now everyone uses the fingerprint to unlock the phone or, or the face data with face ID. <clears throat> These things you can't really change. So if, you know, uh, someone takes your fingerprint, for example, uh, a police or something, then they can essentially unlock your phone and you can't change your... So if your fingerprint once is stolen, for example, then it's not secure anymore, right? Or... or mm -hmm all of these biometrics are you can't really you you, ha you have to have like some sort of a challenge or something to get more secure thing like uh 
you know, entering a password or something that can't just be copied because all of these biometric data can be basically copied. I mean, you have your face as, as you just told uh, us that in the customer, they have your face. So if they can somehow create a mask of it, maybe, or like something, then maybe they can unlock your phone. But I saw something even dumber. Okay, so when I went to the RSA convention, there was a vendor who was giving out free DNA test kits. And these DNA no. test kits did not tell you <laughs> if you were going to get cancer or if like you were Scottish or whatever. They told you whether you were brave, strong, or smart. That is a meme. That is like a, a horoscope. That is not genetic data, which means you're giving your private genetic information, which you can literally never change, to some random company in exchange for what is literally a, a randomly chosen joke. And what they do with that genetic data, uh, I mean, of course they're going to give access to the FBI, like like for sure. Like, like wh why would this be free? Why would they run your DNA through an expensive machine to g and give you a joke and fucking mail it to you if there wasn't somebody benefiting from that data? Like, you've used Facebook. You're aware of the fact that no, but, like nothing is free unless somebody's getting data from it. So when I'm handed a genetic testing kit and told that I'm getting basically nothing to give them a sample of my DNA, I'm like, I'm sorry. That is a horrible idea. Why would I ever do that? But There was... Th they gave them out uh, so like candy. People grabbed them and, and went running. And these were people, these were chief information security officers for like major oh, corporations God. running around, like giving their DNA in exchange for like a, like, and I was like, do you just, anything that's free swag, huh? I could just be like, hey, give me your fingerprints and I'll slap your hands. I'm like, oh, it's free? It's like, it, it makes no sense. Like, why would you want that? It's not useful. Yeah, I mean, I, I saw some this kind is... of a thing on Twitter about this, that there is this big uh, genetic I don't know you you send your uh, DNA to them and then they give you like a really really detailed stuff there is a company doing this uh, <clears throat> is it like 27 23 and me yeah uh, and people were freaking out on Twitter or like security people they were triggered that uh, they are basically storing your information forever there is actually something yeah. in the terms of service that it's it's they have it forever and and really interesting there was someone tweeting that uh, i'm not sure if this is true or not but uh, that uh his or her mom actually ordered one kit and then he sent in his data and he lost lost his password or something so he or uh, or she ordered one more kit and sent that kit in again and then she got an email saying that, oh, he has a twin sister uh, because, because uh, the DNA thing uh, discovered that there are two similar DNA. So that, that's a twin, twin sister. So, but that was just two of, his, uh, two of her uh, DNA tests. So that's, that was interesting. I'm not sure if that's true or not, but if, if it is, then it's really interesting. Okay, I want to start a rumor. And that, that is that 23andMe's real business model is that they take your dna and then in 20 years when you like if you die in an accident they they resell a clone of you to your to your in, grieving partner in 23 years exactly that's their master plan that's tw 23 and me that makes sense with the clones <laughs> exactly see it's, yeah ah uh, yeah the tw this whole thing is a bit sketchy i mean to be fair without Looking at the Twitter uh, security people freaking out, I was, 
I was actually kind of, you know, it, it's interesting. You, you are kind of interested in, oh, yeah, I just send in a DNA and they give me, like, really detailed statistics. That's cool. But you don't um, really think about it. Uh, the DNA tests they do, it's not like your whole DNA. That's just, like, a tiny part of it. Yeah, they run it through, like, the cheap the cheap crappy machine. They're like, yeah, throw it in that thing. And then it goes into, you know, wherever it goes to. And then they can do whatever they else they want with it. And if somebody's like, hey, can you run this advanced test on a million people? Just, you don't need to tell us who they are. Just do it. And they're like, yeah, sure. You know, that's when they have all these DNA samples. They can just do whatever the hell they want with. And provided it's semi-anonymized, which, I mean, how anonymous is DNA ever going to be? Like, like, cool. Like, you've taken my name off it, but, it, like, producing it would still just create, like, a replica of me. So, like, is it really anonymous? but the fact that they have that hmm. data and then are willing to like you know give it to other people for research purposes and whatever else is like no <laughs> the primary value is not is not given to the person giving the sample it's it's in having this giant library of genetic data that can solve crimes predict disease uh you know like all the stuff that they are probably more interested in. If you have a commercial product that causes people to give you their genetic data, like it just means you have a giant library of genetic data that's more useful than giving people, you know, information about their heritage, unfortunately. Yeah, but hmm. But for to the, this, to is, the this is so depressing. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. Other, to, so oh sorry. I can take <laughs> this in other. another direction. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah, no, let me let's no, get no, done no, with I, my section. Because Stefan, I, I know you have some interesting stuff to talk about with the hackerspace too, so I don't want to take up the, the whole time. No, but, no, 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 no. It, it, it's fine. It, I think it's really interesting. I, I, I just <laughs> just to finish the uh the topic, uh are you so uh what I what I was asking that do you think biometrics should be used for security no. then? Yeah, that's what I'm. That's what I was thinking about as well. Because yeah, that, you, no. you see that. Uh, I mean, it's really convenient to unlock my phone with my fingerprint, and it's probably no one is gonna unlock it uh, using I don't know stealing my fingerprint. But still, uh, you know, uh, most of the time, I, at least in Hungary now, it's not. Uh, you're not forced to do it, but when you do, when you create your ID. Uh, they ask you if you want to put fingerprint on it or not because if you want then they scan your fingerprint and it's stored somewhere uh, so basically you give the government your fingerprint if you make an ID most of the time you, if you don't want it then you don't do it but I, I think most of the people actually do it so it's already stolen and at that point you can't you can't change your fingerprint so uh, yeah it's like I don't know it's not secure anymore uh, but but uh, the whole security thing is going in this direction, right? Like, I mean, the whole phone in industry is going in this way. So iPhone with the face ID, every phone with the touch, uh, like, uh, what is it? Fingerprint scanner. So is it, is it like a good direction or what? what there is no other solution, right? Because uh, unless you put an RFID chip in your, in your body, which solves a mathematical challenge, I mean, I guess that would be secure, but that's, I, yeah, I mean. I have an answer, but it's going to depress you even more. Okay, I'm ready right, for it. Go for it. So Google's trying to get rid of passwords by um, turning artificial intelligence and machine learning against the inputs 
of your phone that are related to, for example, the way you hold your phone, the way you might like move slightly when you like to, like hold an object, the way you walk, the way you stand. So by analyzing and creating fingerprints for the way you hold an object that are unique, uh, analyzing the accelerometer, analyzing like all the information that uh, can be used to build a fingerprint of the way an individual holds the device, you can assign a confidence score as to who is holding the phone, whether or not it's the person who's authorized to use it. So in the prototypes that I saw, um, when you're when you're holding the phone um, and you're the authorized user, it's continually analyzing that information of coming from the sensor and assigning, okay, a, a relatively high confidence score that this is the right person. But as soon as you put it down or hand it to another person, then it can tell that it's not the same user holding it because they hold it in a different way. So it the, the confidence score begins to plummet, and within a couple seconds, you get locked out. There's no password. That's you, actually... The un- the unconscious motions that you make when you hold an object are your password, which, like biometrics, cannot be changed. So, but wait, but wait, uh, the, those can't really be cop. Uh, can they? Can they be copied? With, I mean, it's a bit better than a fingerprint because a fingerprint is essentially it's on your finger. But this, uh, you can't just copy, or, or can you copy it? If you have a sufficient data set to build an AI fingerprint to detect whether or not someone is the actual user, I feel like you could use the same training set to build something to fake it. Um, and if you were able to you know, input that information and basically uh, be find the same things that the, the sensor is looking for and then feed it that data, I feel like you could fake it. So uh, what do you think is the solution for this? Because should we just use passwords? Two-factor authentication. <laughs> I, I mean, I no, no, like no, when, I, it, when it comes to like a, a physical YubiKey or something else that's like a, a heart, like a device that you can have with you and be aware of if it's missing. Um, I, that's that's what I trust personally. Um, oh yeah, I, I mean, use... of of course. Uh, I'm mostly maybe in phones. So I mm-hmm. mean, for the web, yeah, the password two-factor is like a pretty safe combo. But the 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 thing is that everything is moving to the fingerprint and face recognition things, but these can be just copied because this is just like biometric data. It's not not there is no challenge that you solve with the two factor that you have a secret and that's generating the code, right? But mm-hmm. uh, with the fingerprint and the face, you don't have that. You only have your face, and once someone makes a copy of your face, they are logged in. So what? I I don't know what is the solution for a secure phone which is also convenient so you don't have to enter like a super complicated password uh yeah i don't know that's that's the interesting problem not sure if you if you have any any ideas for that or like you know better stuff than uh, me because uh yeah i don't know i don't know it's hard to make it convenient, you know, like the more convenient you make it, the the less secure it is inherently. So trying to find a balance between the two is difficult. You know, if you want to be hardcore, like I can't log into any of my accounts with uh, any of my important accounts without having like a, a YubiKey or something present. But if I'm on my phone, then I still have NFC and I also have uh, a Bluetooth enabled um, two factor key. So I can still use it. It's just not fun having to you know grab my my keys like when I need to log into an account on my phone. 
Um, and I would never want to be able to basically have to uh, grab my keys in order to unlock my phone, like, you know, let alone an account on it. So it's it's difficult. Like, you know, when you have a, something like your phone that you're unlocking like 100 times a day, uh, it's just it's hard to get people to use anything more secure than, than something that takes a, a fraction of a second to open or unlock. Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. So there is no... Yeah, I don't know. There is no really good solution because security just makes makes things more complicated. And if you layers, want... yeah, it's just layers. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, definitely for web uh, and stuff, password two factor these together, they are pretty pretty good combo. But you know, I, it's just the whole concept that the whole everything is going, for example, now to fingerprints and the government collects your fingerprints when you make an ID. So basically, yeah, if you're, I don't know, it's like uh, the thing with the iPhone, if if they... In, in Germany, the uh, government wants to expand face recognition or they, they want to start building it like in public places and stuff. Is, they isn't it really already yet. there? They have video surveillance, like in yeah important places, but uh, no no AI or something that uh, goes over it and mm. does face detection or anything like that. And I feel like in a lot of places they have like really old cameras. They they <laughs> or in some places it's probably just like things that it looks like video surveillance, but probably half of the <laughs> cameras are not working or something. That's like the the feeling I have. Um, and they want to uh, yeah, expand that. They want to build, like the, the politicians want that because <gasps> terrorists and stuff, you know. But of course, it's going to be used against like private individuals at the end. And uh, the, the Chaos Computer Club is like fighting heavily against that and the whole community. I'm just amazed how, um, I, I guess, like private uh, companies and stuff, they probably have way more advanced system. Uh, systems and people are just not aware of it yeah but they do yeah i mean they use it yeah. to make all sorts of decisions that aren't public but uh, for me what hearing that what's scary is i've been doing all this research on automated license plate scanners in los angeles and when i talk to people here they think they still think that they can drive from one end of the city to the other end of the city and no one will know and that's just not true like you know like there's so many license plate scanners here that you you are automatically logged the second you pass through a license of uh, 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 intersection with a camera, because the city of Los Angeles has plugged all those cameras into like creepy like volunteer and like other like company systems that automatically extract not not only the license plate but in some cases if the camera has sufficient resolution the face of the driver as well. So if you can imagine like okay first like now you can't drive anywhere without everything your car does being recorded. I was like, okay, well, that's creepy, but you know, it's you're driving, you're going under like traffic cameras anyway. But then, if you think about your face, what if every time you showed your face in public, you were permanently and publicly tied to everywhere that you'd like gone in public? Like, that just I mean, sucks. I mean, I just look at Google location history, everyone. <laughs> um, I mean, it's a different thing, but uh most of the people already have like a super advanced log uh, in their, I mean, Google already has a super advanced location log of everyone just by using the Android phone. Mm-hmm. I mean, at least you can turn that off. I mean, you can't really turn off a uh, traffic light or a tra- traffic uh, uh, camera, but uh, I don't know. It's just weird because, um, yeah. <laughs> 
it, it, it's it's getting a bit more advanced with this uh, interesting news here. i just searched for the license plate scanner here in germany and apparently there was um uh, i can't what's the word like the highest court in the country supreme, supreme court. court yeah so there was a case and they said it's not uh it's not okay with the constitution so well that's uh, the that's police, right the because police it destroys privacy it. Exactly. That's exactly the argument. Uh, and um, yeah, in some places they have been using these scanners uh, for the same kind of arguments, you know, to find stolen vehicles and stuff. But of course, they're gonna lock everyone. So um, people have been, yeah, going to court, and uh, yeah, apparently it's not legal anymore. At least parts of the the law that allowed it in the first place. So they probably have to stop it now until there's some changes. Isn't the, the GDPR? Interesting. Hmm? Isn't the GDPR? <laughs> I mean, in LA you don't have GDPR, but uh... Uh, I don't know. It didn't. I mean, it stopped at our Supreme Court. It didn't go to the uh, European, uh, whatever the the system is called in English. <laughs> I don't know the freaking <laughs> yeah. In in Los Angeles, the, the what's interesting is that it's not the government that really does it. It's private companies that's, that have taken over the design of the cameras, the installation of the cameras, the design of the software that databases all the, the people's images, and then the, um, the sharing software that allows departments to combine databases and share them between each other. So at this point, like, and then also the interfaces that the police type the license plates into or other queries in order to bring up the information. So it's completely privatized. These companies basically also go to malls and other like public places that have cameras that are capable of doing like license plate scanning, and they will buy data from them. So they'll buy um, information from malls in Southern California. And then if you have a stolen vehicle that you're looking for, and it's parked in a mall in Southern California, they'll sell that data package to a police agency. Um, so that they they already know that you're parked in that parking garage. Wow. Yeah, so like basically in the United States, we have the circumstance where private citizens are building private mass surveillance systems to spy on themselves and sell the data to law enforcement. Um, you really make me scared going to the US, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> we just love money. We're like, wait, who is this screwing over? It's whatever. I'm getting paid. Let's do this. This thing looks oh, great. Wow. So also, all of we had all these old like your speed is this speed, um, like things that are always on the side of the road. They take your speed. They tell you if you're speeding. Those have all been upgraded by the Drug Enforcement Agency to also log your license plate. Um, so anytime you pass one of those, like in, in the United States, most of the time nowadays, it's also recording your license plate. Huh. I love how here everyone is kind of freaking out about China's uh, social credit store and stuff. Meanwhile, you guys already have most of the stuff implemented. Yeah, we're just real quiet about it. You know, we're like, oh, no, no, don't press that button unless you need it. But it's there. <laughs> you know, like yeah. we, we have the system and it's like better than theirs uh, in some cases. But we don't put it in your face. Like the United States uses its technological prowess in like much different ways than, than China does. Um, China's just like, hey, here are the rules. They're right in your face. If you break them, then we're going to smack you in the face and everyone will see it. In the United States, like you just get hit with like a crazy fucking you know, indictment that like nobody can figure out how they got the evidence. I'm like, oh, no, no. You remember that one time when you like messed up and like, you know, it couldn't nobody possibly could have known about it. Yeah, yeah. We know about that one thing. So that's what you're getting charged with. Don't worry. We, we weren't spying on you or anything. Um, don't don't ask about that part. 
you know, that's like the when I was doing research into like how stingrays operate, like nobody even knew what those things were because like, you know, prosecutors were instructed to lie about their existence. So like we're wow. really, really. Yeah. Basically, they were told it's really bad drop cases if the existence of this device comes out because it will be so damaging to law enforcement efforts uh, that it's not worth it. So t- like lots of people who were illegally surveilled had their cases just dropped without explanation when lawyers became began becoming suspicious and requesting documents about uh, like uh, cell site stimulator devices. So the United States is awesome at surveillance and we surveil people all the time. We just like, we provided that we feel good about it. We just like feel like it's okay. Like for like America and surveillance and and privacy and and whatever, but it's, it's kind of not because the majority of the people who are involved in it now are not government. They're contractors and contractors don't have a great history for, you know, having, anything other than like making the most amount of money at heart. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't you think know. It's... This is why I find it weird that DEF CON is in the casino where they have all this surveillance. Like what the hell? Aren't it's people just like a, triggered? it's a stunning display of like post-capitalism. So I think that's why it's just like Las Vegas is, is just a thing. Isn't isn't okay. people getting triggered about this because uh, at the C three if you know yeah, if you C3, just if like you just open the cram- camera on your phone people are like super triggered you, you can't make any photos or anything yeah Look, no it's 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 an understood part of the culture in Las Vegas but there was a major incident at the last uh, DEFCON where because of the shooting that happened you guys were aware there was a giant mm-hmm. um, yeah. like massacre like at one of the the hotels and the problem was the guy was allowed to basically bring in a bunch a bunch of weaponry and start storing it in his room so the casinos their brilliant idea was we're gonna just like bust in on guests and assume that all of them are packing machine guns we're not gonna like have like some technological solution or like just like use common sense or like people bringing in a bunch of sketchy bags we're gonna do a mandatory check where we like send people who poorly announce themselves to like like forcibly like like you know basically force people to open the door and like have their room inspected so a lot of like female security research just had like these men knocking on their door insisting that they be let in who refused to show identification and in some cases were just like very like like sketchy and abrupt about it um, and these are security researchers they're people who you know are used to having their their stuff potentially attacked by people who want to steal their their information or like you know like go through their stuff yeah. in their hotel room so for all they know this is a fucking social engineering attack like you know so because the people refused to identify themselves there was a sketchy chain of command where it was hard to like tell who was legitimate and who wasn't and there was some <laughs> indication that people were entering rooms without permission like they with a master key there was a lot of blowback for that um, and in fact I when I spoke to some of the people involved with organizing the conference they indicated that this was the last year it was going to happen at that venue wow this this would be like such a huge thing if this would happen in in the hacker community here like, yeah people were pissed about it but we're just used to it you know last year we had marcus get arrested <laughs> um when he was on his way to the airport oh, yeah. so like we're not we're not strangers to <laughs> to the tension between the security community um, like infosec community and then like law enforcement slash like private security in this case of the of the hotels and casinos so there's i mean it's a different kind of friction obviously but like the the friction with the venue is always just like you have a bunch of 
people who love to get into shit, like running around Las Vegas, and all they want to do is exploit stuff and impress their friends. So it's like the worst possible crowd you could have in your like very profitable business that's like highly technical and has lots of machines. You know, like I when you go to a Staples um, to like print out business cards, which is like an office supply store, they won't mm-hmm. yeah they won't take a USB stick because they're they've been told by someone to not do that for the whole week, but they will let you email them an EXE file and open it on a company computer. So, like... <laughs> Great. Yeah, so um, it's it's just a very strange place. I've been to a lot of security conferences, and DEF CON is, a, is like a circus. It's super fun. It's super overwhelming. It's all about the culture. It's inclusive of, of beginners. Um, you really get, like, a slice for, like, what the, the funnest part of the culture is about. Um, but yeah, you have to accept the fact that it is Las Vegas. There's heavy surveillance. There's heavy police presence. People go there um, to live out a fantasy and do stupid shit. So you people, you see people just shirtless. It's one of the few places in the United States you can like drink openly. Like you can't do that in California. That we have open container laws. So you can't just like have an open beer in California and be on the street because people would abuse that. Uh, but in Las Vegas, people literally strap booze to themselves that are like just <laughs> giant containers of booze. They put it as it's, they sell them as necklaces and you walk around and get wasted all day. So it's just like a very wow. different place. Um, and because they're aware of that, like they have much higher security than like most places here do. Yeah. And you definitely should, you should come to the C3. Yeah. It's, it's, I it's want totally to. different. I mean, it's, people yeah. going to get triggered about anything that's, like a little bit close to what happens at DEFCON. So, I mean, the stuff that people get uh, triggered here at the C3 is nothing really compared to anything. Yeah. At Las Vegas. There was There was one guy uh, uh, stealing flags or something and the whole <laughs> conference freaked out. It's like, what? <laughs> because some like super, super like communist, whatever Antifa guy was like, no national flags here. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. that's so stupid <laughs> and and th- that's what everyone like got triggered about the whole time it's like what, what the fuck's wrong with you with one flag it's, it's like and 15 other one, thousand people here everyone is super chill <laughs> when they... <laughs> yeah but yeah they um there is no video surveillance uh you, you're not even allowed to take pictures uh like people really get triggered if you just take pictures of them uh if the the, the press is allowed to come in but they are always escorted with two angels which are like volunteers that help and they get these uh yellow vests so everyone sees them and they gonna uh look that the press is only taking pictures or videos of people they ask for permission mm. and stuff yeah, when I went and. to DEFCON the first year, it was with a press badge, and I, I'm not going to do that again. Everybody immediately looked at me with, like, suspicion and distrust. Um, so I probably just should have gotten a regular badge, because <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> it, it, the press badge isn't free, you know, like, you still have to pay for it, and it was way less cool and exciting than the regular badge, so I, I messed up, because, yeah, like, being press is very visually different from being an attendee, and some people just don't trust you. Yeah. Oh. It's interesting. They even put ad blockers on on the uh, advertisement of the conference center itself. <laughs> That's like the level. Uh, yeah, and if they see cameras, they're gonna stick, uh, like, put stickers on them or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very different. We've gotten very used to it. Fortunately, we're not like the level of like UK where there's just cameras like absolutely everywhere recording everything, and we just accept it. But it's still a lot. 
Hmm. Oh yeah, the UK is uh, pretty extreme. Like at least London, right? This is like, is it like the biggest network of security cameras or something? It's crazy. Just how how intelligently they've like networked them and how like omnipresent they are. It's just like it's hard to just imagine like committing a crime in that country. And yet people manage to do that. And, and yet they try. Hmm. Hmm. But yeah, that's pretty much everything I had to talk about on my end. I have... Uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, okay, now, pe- now people know who I am. Now uh, people know what I'm into. Uh, but yeah, uh, I I have a couple other things I'm doing also. Like the um, I'm trying to organize stuff from Nullbyte to be more beginner-friendly. So like maybe put it in modules for people that are interested about learning in a, a topic in, in order instead of just like kind of in like one big blast. Um, and then also, like, I, I want to um, also mention uh, that there's some really cool local hacker spaces in Los Angeles. If anyone's ever here, um, check out Null Space Labs because uh, they're probably the best hacker space in Los Angeles. Like, they're they're open a lot. They do a lot of cool classes and, and things like that. So, um, might be a good lead into talking more about hacker spaces. But uh, <laughs> yeah, oh what a great transition. <laughs> so, I, I think we oh I mentioned it last episode already that one thing I want to do this year is build this, this hackerspace. Yeah. So the idea started on uh, on the C3 in December. Um, I think it was kind of like a joke, just like, hey, we should maybe make a hackerspace, you know. Uh, but on this Congress, we just noticed that, yeah, fucking, we, we have to, because this, this, this yeah, feeling you get on these conferences is so unique and you kind of you want to bring it home somehow and um so i thought more about it uh and the more i thought about it the more sense it made just because of the location we are in even though the city is small it has actually a lot of um yeah upsides to it you know a lot of uh, advantages uh, that you don't have in in bigger cities so you can kind of uh yeah you can reach people better in a small city and you 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 have a lot of like biocracy problems uh, um uh, that a lot of biocracy problems you have in big cities are not the same here you can just a lot of things you can do more easily and we are in proximity of uh, a couple of big cities that don't have a really good hacker space they have spaces but they're kind of eh. <laughs> um so yeah i just you know friend that was also on c3 we he lives like 500 meters from me <laughs> uh, we just yeah kind of thought about this and it all makes sense so we started like telling the other people at, at our university and uh yeah some people were really like interested in it so uh, at one day after like i don't know after c3 i got like kind of depressed like like this after conference depression. I don't know if you guys get that. After yeah. Like when you have to start explaining what you do to everyone again. Yeah, exactly. When you notice that all the people around you are kind of, I don't know, <laughs> brain dead compared to what you get on like these uh, yeah conferences where every, I don't know, everyone is so, so conscious and, and knows so much stuff and you can just... You can walk to a stranger on the toilet and, and, and talk about like super deep stuff <laughs> randomly. Like you will get maybe the best conversation of your life at some really random places on these conferences. Uh, 
and, and then you're back into normal life and, and everyone is in their routine and it's just kind of sad and I don't know after like one really bad day uh, I thought like okay something has to change right and no one was like the people I talked to about the hackerspace they weren't really doing anything they were like oh yeah that sounds like a good idea cool and then nothing happens. So uh, I, I figured that, yeah, okay, I mean, if this is not, if I'm not happy with this, I have to change something and I have to do it. So uh, we set up, uh, I started writing this this flyer, which kind of describes what a hackerspace is and why we want people and why you should be interested, that kind of way. Uh, I set up a website, we set up, uh, we, we bought a domain, set up email, Trello, GitHub, uh, Discord, uh, Telegram group. We handed out these flyers uh, in university and this was actually, all this was done in like two or three days in the last week of, of lectures of that semester. Because, um, yeah, I mean, I had this, this was like on a weekend where I had like this bad day and then I thought I have to change something. And I noticed like, wow, there is not really much time left. This is only one week of lectures and then we have like two months of uh yeah free time but then in this time there's also like all the exams and stuff so um i really had to just do everything super quickly but it worked out and uh we found a lot of people and we managed to organize the first meeting like was it last week i think uh and 13 people showed up already which is a lot i didn't i mean like i uh i i i uh, thought like 10 people would come after what I counted, like the, the responses I got, uh, but it were even a few more. And this, this was actually quite productive. So we have uh, one from the General Student Committee, the, the, the ASTA for the Germans. <laughs> they have, uh, we can get a room on, on, on campus from them and they can even give us, yeah, support us financially. Uh, with our projects and stuff so we don't have to start or we yeah we can basically start right away without like taking money or or anything because most of those 13 people uh, that were on this first meeting they don't really know stuff you know these are all kind of for me they're kind of noobs it's not bad you know you have to to train people to show them show how to sort of show how to research stuff show how to hack just the whole show them how this whole community works um, but they are motivated, so that's the important part, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, it's great that we have these connections now already that we can pretty much, as soon as the next semester starts or even before, we can basically start right away. We will just start meeting uh, each week uh, at the yeah, uh, the 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 room the uh, Asta has uh, anyway. So we just kind of have to reserve it for us at that point. They also have some some uh um what's the name closets where we can lock things so it's not like we have our own physical space right away but that's not how it works anyway uh other spaces they they take years before they actually have like their own yeah place and everything so i don't know for this kind of time periods like this is all this started like three weeks ago or something or, or maybe it's not it's not even a month yet where this is like really happening and it's crazy how far uh we already got and uh yeah the thing is most yeah most oh we have actually uh one guy that showed up to the meeting uh he actually told me that uh he and a friend of him they were starting a hackerspace at 
<laughs> our university already like years ago and they failed um i think they did it for maybe one semester i can't remember but uh, the reason they failed is because they couldn't get enough people involved and just keeping them in and that's the thing i feel most spaces just are really bad at like advertising themselves and getting people hyped because a lot of a lot of spaces there are um they own they're just for themselves you know they they yeah, they won't one, let which they're is not really like inclusive. a community right yeah you need to really open up you need to be open to to all the noobs <laughs> and train them and, yeah, and advertise and show what you're doing i i think most of these sacred spaces are they want to be beginner friendly but uh i mean maybe they don't realize that they are not really beginner friendly so you know if someone is just trying to get started they just basically don't know anything and uh yeah they, they they can't really join in because you know they are already a community for like i don't know years and the new people are i mean the new people are of course welcome but uh yeah i don't know some you, you have to have like a really open community for uh for hacker space to work properly because uh yeah otherwise it's it's just for new people it's gonna be really hard I think a lot of hacker spaces they just started when like five hardcore nerds just decided to put money together to build something like this and then it's just this kind of group of friends maybe it expanded but like uh, a lot of spaces just keep that kind of size and they don't really open up they don't realize that it's not just about uh, the space itself but it's about building a community and growing that community and, and interacting and finding new people yeah hmm. uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> hmm. so one big i mean this is like the thing i want to change we are in a really small city anyway so there is no no way around this we have to be really open to to everyone that's kind of the message i set on our first meeting as well and that we need to be present like on social media and everywhere we, we have to show people what we are working on and how this works so people from outside they without going to a meeting they can already see like when they go on the website or something that they already get this first impression and kind of get a good image in their head how this how a hackerspace works because it's kind of hard to explain people what a hackerspace is even because there's a lot of context around it and uh, when I look at websites from other species, uh, spaces here around, uh, they are pretty empty and like mostly only text. And it's like, yeah, okay, cool. I know your address now. Uh, I know you were maybe on this event, but like, I have no idea what you do, what, which people are involved, what all your space is about. I don't really want to go there. That's kind of the attitude I get when I look at these other <laughs> hacker spaces. I don't know. And yeah pretty much uh right now um uh, i'm kind of in the phase where i just put a lot of time into this talking to people getting oh yeah cody we we talked about this quite extensively yeah <laughs> which helped a lot like like i think we talked on like was it on a Sunday? Like I feel like Saturday was like really depressed day, and then the day after <laughs> I was like, "Shit, I I have to do something." And then when we actually we actually spoke that day, 
and this is where it really started from Good. like just well, yeah. I'm good because I, I had never been to a hackerspace before I came to Los Angeles. And I've fortunately gotten to see what works and doesn't work in like a lot of different spaces here. So what you had going sounded like it was actually a lot more stable and a lot more, you know, for the people it was intended for than a lot of the hackerspaces even here. Because you have issues where, you know, like it, it becomes just difficult to participate because you never know when it's open. If it's like a shared space where there's some key holders and some non-key holders, you have like, this weird initiation process that a lot of them like make you go through before you're like a real member that gets to come in whenever you want and otherwise it's just like very inconvenient to know when when someone else is going to happen to be there so keeping it regular like keeping it easy and making sure the community is involved from the start like you know i think you have a good blueprint and in fact i would encourage you to make sure that you like write it down so other hacker spaces i do good I good, do. good good i want to if this is actually working out you know maybe in a year or something i want to do a, a some kind of talk about this actually because I feel like there's so much information I already now just after like three weeks and we don't actually have a real hackerspace going yet you know we just have a few bunch of people but we didn't even start meeting regularly yet mm -hmm. uh, but I already learned so much about this that I just want to tell people out there uh, even if they already have a working space running I feel like they could do better <laughs> yeah and ah uh, yeah there's so much uh, about this and yeah i started uh, documenting a lot that sounds so exciting i'm really excited to like even for me starting an organization it's good to have a guide of all the things that you need to prioritize because there's a lot of distractions that come up when you're trying to start an organization that if you don't know what's important and what's not you can waste a lot of time yeah yeah but that's <clears throat> that's true i think it's really good that uh, you're trying to be like really open and uh and you know, like a friendly community, because you know, the things that uh, that Cody said that uh, you have to go through like a process of you know getting invited into the hackerspace and all of that. That's just not um, that's just not beginner friendly. And also, if you are like most of the hacker guys, uh, you are more of an introvert type, and you you know you are already stressed out enough that you oh. just go into a random environment. Not that you yeah. have to, you know, you have to go through some kind of, uh, I don't know, invite process. So, yeah. This for... is why I was so, uh, so happy to see 13 people show up to the first meeting. And those were a bunch of introverts. They weren't like, I, I was really uh, scared that this was turned into chaos because <laughs> with so many people, you know, if everyone just talks to them and then it's just kind of chaos and not, uh, yeah, uh, but it didn't. It, like no one said anything <laughs> they were all super like scared and like oh my god what is happening <laughs> kind of people but but this is this is this is great i mean they showed up so uh they are they want to see this happening and if they are if 13 people already showed up that are like this then i think there are way more people on the university that uh that didn't show up but mm. have interest in this they're just maybe too afraid to to uh, get in contact yet maybe they want to see how, how yeah where this goes and stuff yeah and, and actually one thing yeah if i could give you some advice on that when you get people like that to come to your meeting and you get them in the room when you're talking when you're presenting like look around and whoever is making the most eye contact with you 
just talk to them, like get their name afterwards, like find out why they are in your club or why they're in your hacker space and like what brought them there. And they will remember that. Like that's how you get like loyal members that like want to stay and help build. They want to, but they don't know how to act. So if you approach them afterwards and just give them a little bit of information about yourself and learn about them and let them know that that information is valuable too, like that is how you build a community. Like I've been parts of clubs where um, the, the the leaders are under the impression that you're like doing some sort of performance for the members. So it's like they're not really involved. They're just there to be the audience. That sucks. Like it's it's just stressful for you as a speaker. Like it's it's weird for them as an audience because they feel like they can't participate. Like just make sure you talk to the ones who are like engaging you the most at the end because they're really, you know, when you notice somebody making direct eye contact with you or nodding their head a little bit when you say something, like it means that they're there for a reason and they agree with you. And like you should find out what that is because it could be a starting point for uh, like, you know. Uh, this so- is such great advice I, I will use it on the next meeting yeah no our computer science club here didn't do that shit at all like, it was lame like we had a huge club and and the people who were in the administrative positions were like kind of like scared to like get in touch with them they would like brush them off and like be like oh it's so stressful to have everyone come up and talk to me after it's like are you kidding i love that like that's when i get to like meet everyone it's like i can't remember names at all so i suck at that but i i try and like you know i talk to people get their story find out what their major is like because it's important you know if people are going to show up to your thing you have to show them that like you're there for them too otherwise you know they really have to be entertained and the, the standard goes way up for like what you need to do in order to keep people there yeah uh, one one big advice I have to give is that you should, and that this is again, I feel like other spaces I'm may probably not doing this, uh, get people uh, invested that have like no idea what this, what this community is about, maybe have no idea what, what hacking is about or whatever. Because mm-hmm. I feel like the best advice I got is from people like totally outside of this because they, they give like a totally different view uh, uh, on things that are important that you maybe didn't realize or, or maybe thought, yeah, this is not that important or whatever. But even on this meeting, uh, the guy from this uh, general student committee, uh, so helpful. Uh, he isn't really into this whole hacker thing, but of course he knows a lot about uh, organizing this kind of stuff anyway, because that's what they are doing the whole time. But uh, yeah, he's like super helpful with setting setting things up and uh, getting things organized hmm. uh, but yeah oh by the way now I'm just <laughs> I saw yesterday that uh, in uh, in a month there's Arduino day 16th of March I don't know if you guys realized but um, uh, I thought we, we have to do something as a hackerspace I guess because this is a great challenge. We didn't. It didn't really start yet. I, I see this as like the next challenge, but uh, like kind of like a Arduino um, workshop. I think would be a great idea. Most of the people there are not that advanced in this kind of stuff anyway. So it's kind of both good to train the people we have already invested, uh, but also get new people invested. I don't know. Yeah, like an open day or something? Yeah, it would be an open day. The Arduino day is great because you can uh, send them, I I don't know, does it work over the web interface or you send them an email? Anyway, you let Arduino, like this company, know and they put it in the, uh, uh, on their their map online. So everyone can see that there is an event on Arduino day here Mm. and can come. It's like open for everyone. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you make an open day or something, that's <clears throat> that's always better for people who just trying to look, you know, what's happening, and they can have a chance to to just look inside. But yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely better than making like a closed invite group, like most of the people do, which is not that not that friendly for new people. Yeah. This this wouldn't work out. This is why the other group failed before us. You you have to be as open as you can get. Get all the people in. Um, doesn't matter if they if does they don't have to study anything in that direction. They don't have to be on university anyway. Uh, it's kind of it's kind of bad that we start in uh, in a room on 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 campus because it's kind of some people maybe don't want to go there. Some people don't like university atmosphere and kind of that kind of stuff but okay for the for the start we don't really have a choice you know we can't rent a place from the beginning uh we have to grow uh, over time yeah yeah uh but yeah should we make a cut here so um what cuts <laughs> <laughs> So uh, you have Just, to you have to leave in fifteen minutes or yeah yeah that's what yeah I probably should it's it's still uh, morning for me so I my friend who's over is like rummaging through my kitchen trying to find something to eat and I'll need to, to give him a ride back home in uh, in a, a little bit but I do uh, I do have another like ten minutes or so so we can talk a little bit about the project and stuff like that but then I can bow out and let you guys continue oh yeah the project yeah let's let's talk about the project. Okay, you should so. talk about the project. <laughs> <laughs> and end of the cut, I guess. Yeah, end of the cut. <clears throat> Never happened. Yeah, I'm just. We keep that in though. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well. Uh, Stefan, do you want to introduce it or shall I? Uh, I I don't even know how to describe it really. So you should. <laughs> okay. Well, so part of the thing um, that Stefan and I are, are working on together um, is an idea for a DefCon presentation. So um, I don't want to spoil everything, but uh, what we both kind of been interested in is ways that we can push um, what uh, some of his tools can do to maybe learn a little bit more about people than anybody ever intended when creating the Wi-Fi standard. Um, so <laughs> one of the observations that was made by the paper, um, by Matthew Van Hoff, I believe it's, um, Mac address randomization. Um, I don't actually don't remember the title. I'll have to look it up. Um, but, um, in defeating Mac address randomization, one of his biggest observations was that if there is a, um, a network on what's called the preferred network list or the, the list of networks that you've authorized your phone to connect to before on your device, um, if any network name matches the the name and the security of that recorded network, then your phone will connect to it without asking you. Um, which I was like, huh, that's interesting. Anytime you can get a device to do something without asking the user, that's valuable. And I noticed this behavior when I would walk by a Starbucks. My phone, which had connected to it before, would attempt to connect to the Wi-Fi network, but it would hit a, a captive portal that asked me to sign in, and my data would cut out. Um, so when I read the paper by Matthew, I realized, okay, so my phone here is when I walk by automatically matching the name of the Wi-Fi network to the preferred network list inside the phone, getting a match and then like switching over my data. So not only is it sending over my real Mac address of my phone, it's also revealing 
more information. Um, my relative distance uh, via signal strength, it's revealing the fact that I've connected to that network before, um, which, you know, just because it's a Starbucks, isn't that remarkable. But if we have something like the Beacon Spammer, where suddenly I'm advertising a thousand networks, then if my phone re replies to three of them, and those three networks reveal information about who I am, um, that starts to getting into some really interesting territory. So the first thing we talked about was just decloaking phones. How do we unmask all the phones around us and track them? Um, and that was kind of the first phase, which in and of itself would probably make a good DEF CON talk um, because the ways we were thinking of doing it um, you know, are scalable. And if you have a device that is able to like log these requests and send it over a network, then you can put these all over the place and, and basically have automated license plate scanners, but they're not scanning license plates, they're scanning Wi-Fi devices. And they're, they're not logging the exact GPS location, they're logging the relative distance to the observation site um, based on signal strength. Um, so as if you combine those observations, you know, you can, for example, on my, on my college campus, you could theoretically track a student as they walk all the way across campus by just seeing which, um, detectors they're pinging off of, uh, as their phone attempts to connect to these Wi-Fi networks. Now, because, um, the tool doesn't actually create, you know, a real Wi-Fi network is just advertising beacon frames. It means that the, the device never successfully connects. So most people never see a, a drop in their data service. It, their phone's just being like, you know, decloaked basically over and over and over and over, dropping this the safe random MAC address that's supposed to make your phone not trackable and using the, the super trackable one that's kind of, it's like permanent MAC address. So that was kind of our first idea. But then I realized that with the sheer volume of, um, of fake Wi-Fi networks that that um, Stefan's tool is capable of producing, um, <laughs> you can actually load identity modules. So let's say that I have um, all the 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 Wi-Fi names for all the police departments in the United States. And my actual example that I tried was um, all the Wi-Fi networks for the NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, which is uh, in Pasadena, very close to my school. So when I did the talk, I loaded up the all the different Wi-Fi networks for JPL into um, this demo, and every time somebody from JPL came into the room, the phone, if their Wi-Fi was turned on, which in most cases it's left on, would recognize the network from JPL and attempt to connect to it and turn on an LED. And it'd be like, hey, someone from JPL just walked in. Um, so I realized that at this point, we're doing signals intelligence. We're exploiting the fact that you know there's a there's a, a network saved in this person's phone that tells us about where they've been. Or in the case of a protected network, it tells us somewhere that they've had permission to connect to. So if we have maybe the, the Wi-Fi network name of every defense contractor in the United States, and we start running that in public, suddenly we're identifying, you know, like, like, like defense contractor employees uh, just by being near them in proximity to them. And we're even looking into the possibility of extracting passwords um, from these solicitations um, because if you get a like a half handshake of a device attempting to connect to a network that's not truly there, there may be the possibility of grabbing that handshake and running it against a brute force list, probably by you know sending it off to a server that's able to crack it much faster. And when you have the password of the Wi-Fi network that this device is attempting to connect to, you can actually put up a perfect fake that has the correct Wi-Fi password, that has the correct Wi-Fi name, and you can basically grab that person's data connection and stage a man-in-the-middle attack, redirect via DNS, like um, their requests, like do all kinds of stuff. So it starts with tracking, but um, what I was interested in was learning about the way the, the police devices, like Cellbrite or Stingray, 
um, how those devices work by exploiting flaws in communications technology, and then try to bring the cost of that down to the point that it costs like $3, $12 to replicate the same kind of behavior that police pay, you know, upwards of $100,000 to buy a device that does the same thing to a cellular network. But by using a much cheaper technology, uh, Wi-Fi, you know, Stefan's research really hit on the fact that these tools are, are trickling down and the same kinds of flaws that police are using to track people, you know, are, are now available to any random person who knows a little bit about Wi-Fi and is able to, you know, flash some Arduino code. And, um... Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so we want to <laughs> <What he said. laughs> we uh, we want to try to adapt some of the tools um, that already exist um, to exploit some of these flaws in Wi-Fi to not only learn about um, you know okay you have a Samsung device and this is its MAC address and now I know which networks will decloak your Samsung device and I can track it. So if I put it like a, on a directional antenna like a Yagi antenna and then I was measuring the signal strength of, of packets coming from your device while simultaneously sending packets that I know will cause your device to react I can track you. I, I, can, I mean uh, theoretically I could have like a, a sweatshirt that has like a directional antenna like, like put into it <laughs> and have it buzz you know what it's facing in the direction of you know, this device and basically track whoever I want by MAC address by sending decloaking signals and then interpreting the signal strength of what comes back, um, depending on what direction I'm facing in. So if I want to play hot and cold with devices, you know, all I need is a directional antenna and then this information on how to ping the device and get it to react with a Wi-Fi network that it's connected to before. Now, of course, you can just turn your Wi-Fi off, but that doesn't always work. Because when you turn yeah. your Wi-Fi off, um, assisted GPS actually continues to operate and send out uh, identifiable, um, you know, uh, uh, probe requests. So because of that, um, I've been able to identify people's devices even after the, after they turn off the Wi-Fi because they don't bother to go into their GPS settings and turn off a GPS, which doesn't immediately seem to have anything to do with Wi-Fi. But I mean, you can still be tracked with it. So wait, wait, is it sending probe <clears throat> responses or is it connecting to? Um, Wi-Fi, if it's on the uh, in the location mode, so when it's only using Wi-Fi for location, I thought it's only listening for the beacons. No, it sends out active requests. So sometimes it'll send them to broadcast. So it'll just be FFFFFFF, etc. for the MAC address. So it's just any device in range. iPhones in particular will only send those requests out to broadcast, just in general. Um, but for uh, you what you generally won't see specific probe requests like calling out for like the last network that it connected to which means you can't just spin up a network with the same name like in a karma attack where you just listen for requests and then just echo back a fake version of whatever network they're calling for but you mm -hmm. can still detect that there's a device there it's using like a motorola you know mac address and it is currently you know within this range oh so, yeah yeah but you can't you can't decloak uh, most of the time if Correct. Although on, on my oh, Samsung okay. phone, I found that it's actually using its real MAC address in this mode, which is you know stupid. What? I I found when I just was looking at the frames, uh, I don't know, doing some Wi-Fi stuff, is that iPhone should be do should be doing the randomization, but it wasn't doing the randomization. So I I'm not sure. Is it from like an iOS version or something? Because uh, I never seen a device that was like doing like some pretty hardcore randomization. Uh, with the MAC address. So most of the time it's just a steel MAC address that is scanning. What kind of packets did you sniff? Uh, it was, I think it was probe uh, request. Yeah. Oh, okay. And it was using its real 
You know, that's not sure, but uh, the, the one thing for sure is that it, the MAC address wasn't changing, so it was it was always huh. the same. Maybe, should it change between packets, or... or should Good it... question. Does it change for each packet? I think it changes in, like, a time interval. So, um, there's a... Oh, man, there's a lot of literature on this, and if, if you're curious about it, I highly recommend checking out um, why, MAC why MAC address randomization is not enough, an, an analysis of Wi-Fi network discovery mechanisms. It's a really good paper that covers this. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's a paper that covers this and goes through the ways that each individual operating system implements MAC address randomization. For example, on a wow. Windows system, it will implement a per connection MAC address. So your if you have a Windows system, every time you connect to a new Wi-Fi network, it assigns you a new MAC address that is always the same, but only for that specific connection. Um, on an Android phone, it's supposed to like randomly change the MAC address when it's just broadcasting over a certain period of time. But that period of time is uh, set by the manufacturer, so it's not consistent. And you'll see like variations in the way that different devices change it. iPhones are also supposed to sequentially change their um, their MAC address when they're not connected to a station. Any any device will have its real MAC address when it is connected to a station, attempting to connect to a station, or sending a directed probe request in reply to a, a beacon frame. Um, so basically, if you can get it to react to something, it immediately drops um, the, the MAC address randomization it uses when it's just out there broadcasting, disconnected, not trying to connect to anything. But the second you start getting it to try to associate or, or try to like connect to something or, or otherwise like, like reach out to it, it'll generally drop its, uh, its MAC address. And that could be because perhaps there's MAC address filtering on the network. Um, if you're connecting to a network that like blacklists certain MAC addresses or has a whitelist that only allows certain, um, then that could be a reason why that happens. But it's hideously insecure because it allows things like the beacon spammer to be used to literally decloak like every single cell phone with Wi-Fi on in a train station, which I've done in, in testing. Um, I used every single common wireless network um, that is open in Southern California. I, I went through the city uh, like by bus and train and whatever, just recording Wi-Fi networks and extracted the most common open networks, loaded them onto the beacon spammer, and I was able to achieve just insane results on the train. Um, in our subway, you know, there's no legitimate networks, so everyone's phone is just searching for whatever connection it can get. And when I would pop up one of these um, like preloaded like beacon spammer packages that had all the common open networks and southern california it was it was like like christmas just everything lit up like every single device was like sending like every network it's ever connected to um and i realized it was also generating a unique profile per device so i could look at a particular mac address and see that this guy had been to the grand he'd been at like to the best western in the grand canyon because it fucking says so because his phone's still calling out for that network i can see that he goes to this particular gym he likes his coffee shop he's a student at this school and then he has permission to uh like join this network which means he's a member of this club so just by analyzing those signals and seeing which networks that person has stored in their preferred network list, I learned all, all sorts of information about their identity, their associations or affiliations. Um, and I even potentially have the opportunity to try to crack one of those organizations' Wi-Fi networks if I can solicit his phone to give me a half handshake. Yeah. Really interesting, really interesting. Is it is that true that uh, in some cases uh, probe requests can contain MAC addresses, right? Not anymore. Um, that's been removed. Not so anymore. in the in the past it did, but um, it's actually noted in the, in this article that they removed that because uh, the amount of information was not only just gratuitously just overkill. Um, it was it, a serious security vulnerability to disclose that amount of information. Yeah, because so, you can just 
look it up on Wiggle and then <laughs> oh, yeah. if the name was like super simple, the MAC address is completely unique. So it was already... Well, at DEF CON 25, I saw a tool that in real time scanned for probe requests, identified, um, like parsed the network name, did a scan to try to find the unique network name on Wiggle Wi-Fi and returned the result if it had weak encryption. So basically you were able to sit next to a person and tell if their home router was configured like fucked up. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so if they were using WEP on their on their router or if it was open or whatever, it would do a search, identify the network on wiggle.net, be like, oh, this is like in the next next state over, the next city over. It's the only network in this range that has uh, you know, that same network name and you know, it, it has crappy Wi Fi or it has crappy security. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> So, the possibilities of these simple things is amazing. I know. There's there's just so much you can learn. I mean, it, it goes all the way from like authorizing users by like identifying them by, you know, something that's pretty difficult to fake or, you know, identifying people who don't want to be identified and starting to learn like who is who and kind of sort people autonomously with like qualitative tags, like depending on which networks they've connected to before. So yeah, just the thought that you could identify where somebody works, who sits next to you without even looking at their face, just from the signals that you're able to get, like to come out of their wireless phone, like that's yeah, that's amazing. Like that's that's creepy and incredible. And pulling that, what we're basically doing is we are brute forcing the preferred network list, and then we're using the information contained in the preferred network list that's stored in phones and laptops and stuff to learn about the person. And that's kind of the core of of everything that um, Stefan and I are, are like working on. Uh, it's it's abusing the Super fact that cool. that devices will just reply to that with with only the network name stored and the type of security. So provided you can get those two things uh, right, you can just arbitrarily hijack anyone's data connection at any time. So let's say that you know you you do a social engineering attack where you get somebody to log into their bank account. You could time it so that you take over their data and redirect them to you know a fake bank account at the exact second that you know you call them and tell them that there's been a fraud alert and they need to check in uh, log in and check their account. Because if you have physical proximity and you know which uh, networks their device is going to react to, you can hijack their phone anytime you want. <laughs> or at least the data connection. So when it comes to the information flowing through the phone, you own that whenever you want. And that's kind of the cool part about it. <laughs> oh, this is so great. <laughs> really cool. Yeah. Uh, Wi-Fi stuff is super interesting. Yeah, I was doing this stuff also with my it's, tools it's a rabbit hole yeah but i didn't go as deep but yeah I, I mean i mean really cool really cool yeah it helps that i have a giant wireless lab um i live in los angeles so i have two things i have high density urban areas with literally hundreds if not thousands of of wi-fi devices uh, and then i also have like storm drain tunnels uh, that i like to go like hiking and exploring in that are completely radio silent they're radio isolated if i want to study um, just one particular device or like what the radio signals look like there are areas here where i can set up equipment and have complete radio isolation from everyone else and and just see what the effect one-on-one -on -one is so it's kind of cool that um i have the ability to do that because it's quite difficult to set up like a radio isolated lab if you're just trying to um you know, study something without interference yeah hmm. really cool <laughs> uh, well as i mentioned i i do have to run in a little bit because in the united states it's oh, yeah. it's um morning for me i stay up until really late writing but it's now one o'clock in the afternoon so i i'm gonna go and get i guess breakfast soon but 
I just want to say thank you for inviting me. Uh, I really enjoy getting to talk with other people that love the same things. And I've been meaning to do like a podcast format or something like this for a while. So I'm glad that my first one got to be on uh, on this one in particular. <laughs> yeah, I, I bet you. this won't be the last time you're on. Yeah, I hope really, so. <laughs> really interesting topics. Yeah, we, we just not even went went deep with them so <laughs> yeah really, uh, <laughs> this, this could go much deeper yeah yeah next yeah, time i'll, really I'll cool. set aside some more time this was my first podcast so i was uh, i was unprepared uh, but this time same yeah <laughs> i mean it's not our first podcast but we were pretty unprepared for this one because yeah. I, I just had an exam a few hours ago so i didn't really have much time myself as well yeah i just finished um, my ccna cisco certified network associate um class so i learned how ipv4 works and how net, like nat addressing works and like all this other stuff but i still failed the class so i've lost a lot of sleep <laughs> and i'm a little disappointed mm. but at least i learned a lot <laughs> amazing all right i don't want to <laughs> keep you too long yeah okay uh, if you if you have to go uh but yeah it was great to have you here and hope yeah, to thank you thank you very get much. you on the podcast more often absolutely i would love to come back sometime uh yeah thank you david Spink, thank you uh space Hoon and all the other space chickens out there <laughs> and uh yeah i will talk to you guys next time thank you again yeah thank you all right bye-bye 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 yeah it's just us now yeah, I uh, hope the... But we still have topics, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just have a few things. I mean, it's mostly the updates that are that are uh, left, right, to, to, to clean up. Uh, do you want to start with your stuff? Uh, yeah, I, I actually can. I can because you were talking before... Uh, yeah, I don't have a lot of updates here, uh, but there is something so i'm just gonna go through of uh, what's kind of happening now uh so yeah <clears throat> problem uh, most the biggest problem is with time management right now because uh you know uh, with high school it's just a hard time to to try to do something else and you know and try to maintain uh and learn for high school and uh, do all of that stuff while trying to do for example something like bug bounty or like learning a news i mean yeah <clears throat> it's pretty hard i'm trying to do something i'm trying to create a system which works i can't yet say that i made something that works because i did not um it's it's most of a I don't know fail and repeat system. What is, is what with ha what's happening over and over that I try something and then it doesn't work out. So I don't know. And then I try something new and uh, try, you know, uh, that also fail fails mostly. So it's still work in progress. But uh, yeah, I I will want to find I will uh, I want to find a way which other people also could you know uh, do their projects and do stuff uh, while in high school because i think this is a really difficult uh, thing that a lot of people can't figure out is how to make time for your project because high school is already consuming a shit ton of time so and i also don't know it at the moment and uh, yeah i'm just trying to figure out something while i'm in high school because i still yeah. have one and a half i mean not a, not yeah around one and a half years so 
I mean, you know, I must be here, so why not? Why not try to figure out something and try to help others with the same problem? So yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Before you move on, maybe we should kind of switch back and forth because I feel like we have kind of the same things here. Oh, okay, okay, um, go ahead. Because for me, it's I, I think I said it the last time, or we talked about it anyway. That like, if you're um, more bored, you get more creative. And yeah. that's kind of what I've been trying to do. I prioritized. I like cut a lot of things from my to-do list or whatever. Uh, try to just um, focus on my main projects. Because I also, I try to organize uh, end of last year. I, I really like try to make schedules, make to-do lists, make, uh, I, I, I tracked my time and stuff. And uh, I try to find a system so I'm more productive. But it felt like it just did the opposite And I got more stressed because I got more stressed. I had less time and I couldn't get, uh, I, I got less done. And because I'm still all the time busy, I couldn't come up with new stuff. I wasn't really creative. So after it kind of had just only negative effects, really. I didn't really get more done than I do now. Um, it's just maybe then it felt more like I've um got things done because i had everything in a list and i uh, you know and now i'm just i don't i i don't use any system really anymore <laughs> i just mm. gave up on that pretty much completely now um i just try to focus on like the main things then those i can keep in my head anyway and and and, and that's it and then i just just Uh, if I if I'm bored, then that's good. Then I get more creative and think about the, the things I'm working on and don't get like, oh my God, I have to do this and this and this and get like, you know, afraid because I have so much things to do or whatever. And because of this whole hackerspace thing, um, I, I must end, end the project I'm doing with Cody now. I got, I don't know, I, I kind of got my excitement back that I, I didn't even notice I lost last year. I don't know where I lost it, but... Yeah, uh, I, mean, I was just. <laughs> it was actually really motivating because um, that's a lot of stuff we, you know, when we started, these were like super interesting things, the, what he was talking about. But now I, I also feel like I got a bit more uh, of this. I don't know, you know, I I I wouldn't start the project just to you know measure. I don't know. Uh, get the mac addresses or something that that uh cody was talking about but you know listening to him talk about it, it it's actually really motivating to do something like exactly this. and so, i feel like this is like the excitement i had in the very beginning to yeah. do something like this and i kind of lost because i was just like repeated like it was just repetitive work coding and stuff and uh i feel like now because of that project and because of the hackerspace i'm um i'm much more involved with people like Cody that are like, I don't know, hype you up with stuff, but also with beginners that, uh, where they, they, they kind of have an open mind and, um, I don't know, it, it sparks like, uh, yeah, just interest in everything. And I just got, I got hyped about everything again, kind of. And I kind of dropped this whole attitude of me coding big projects anyway. I mean, I love I, I I do software this is my thing right but I really cut it down I didn't do I, I think I in some episode I, I told you that this whole one 
uh, commit a day on GitHub, you know, yeah. <laughs> one commit a day keeps the doctor away. Uh, forget about that. I, I don't know when I committed something last time, probably like a week ago or something. Um, but that's not bad. It doesn't mean I'm not working on stuff. Uh, it just doesn't mean I'm, I'm, I'm not working on code right now. I'm still working maybe on the same projects. I just didn't code anything yet. It's not about writing big code. It's not about making it more complex. It's the, the smaller things that get you excited. And uh, it's, it's the small things, the small projects that turn into big ones because the de-author uh, in the beginning, I also thought uh, I, 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 to I totally forget, forgot that at some point. But in the beginning, uh, I also thought that this is probably something I can develop like really extensively. And I thought, yeah, okay, but I want to finish this eventually. So I gonna make some cuts here and just finish it up, make a good documentation, put every piece of information I gathered for this online and stuff. And I did it and it blew up. You know, <laughs> but then eventually I started to just uh, making it better and better and, and more complex and complex. And that was never my point. I wanted to be finished with it and then move on. Yeah, I, I don't know. You can you can easily lose this hype factor that, uh, you know, you, you just have to keep looking for stuff, stuff that uh, actually, I don't know, give you gives you that hype. And it's gonna be different than than you know one year ago, because one year ago you were hyped about one thing, but now your interest probably shifted a bit. And you know it may feel weird because you feel bad that you don't you you are not hyped about oh. something that you were hyped before. But I mean that's actually kind of normal because it you know your interest changes and that's how it is. Uh, that's uh. I don't know. That's what I feel a bit with my projects. I, I feel bad because most of the people, I mean, the people who are trying to use it, they, they have some problems and stuff. And I just, you know, I just don't have the time, unfortunately. And I don't have the environment, the testing environment and everything. It's just so much work and so much time that I just can't do it uh, at the moment. And I, you know, because of this, I don't really feel like doing it because I'm just, it's just not something that uh, would be fun. Uh, but back then with Raspberry Pis, when I didn't do basically anything else, just playing with the Raspberry Pis and Wi-Fi, and you know, it was really fun. But now, now things have changed a bit, and you know, it feels bad that I can't really update it at the moment. But yeah, that's that's how it is, I guess. You just have to go with the change and figure out the best. Yeah. There is, I, 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 I keep thinking of that uh, TED talk I've watched like years ago and it was a bit about people that just, um, that their passion changes over time. You know, they, they maybe be like super passionate about this one topic for maybe years, but then they kind of start to switch and, and want to look in different things. And yeah. I wasn't sure what to think about that at first because uh, before that, I was all about, okay, everyone has kind of one or, or maybe multiple, but still like a fixed kind of passion. And just a lot of people maybe don't know of it. Uh, I think that's still the problem here. But um, uh, interests change. And I don't think this is like a particular uh, part of, of people. I think this is probably true for everyone 
It's just that a lot of people don't notice. They are so caught up in their life. Um, and it's not, it's like me, like, it's not like I dislike coding or whatever, but I, I feel now that I kind of lost my interest there at some point that I'm, I, again, I'm still hyped. I wouldn't say I, I didn't enjoy it, but, uh, I'm much more hyped about other things now. Yeah. I mean, kind of like, same here because... Uh, yeah, the whole exactly. Raspberry Pi, you know, Python project stuff, stuff, super fun. It was super fun, and now I, now I don't really feel like doing that. It was something that I, you know, I really enjoyed back then, but now I, now I do different things, and now I, I don't know. It it, it changes, I guess. It changes, and it's weird because you feel weird that oh my god why am i not enjoying this anymore you know i i was enjoying this before but uh i guess you just have to you just have to accept that that you know it can change and it's not an issue and maybe it comes back at some point yeah of course i mean maybe it's just if you if you maybe you do it like really seriously you know and then you just get so serious with it that you lose the fun factor in it and maybe just that or i don't know yeah but yeah of course it's not gonna stay the same your how do you feel about this stuff is is gonna change all the time so that's just something that i guess happens with everyone yeah um so i i'm going on with my points here uh uh yeah i think I, we covered that one so yeah by the way now i'm learning android uh development really interesting you you might think it's it doesn't make any sense but uh i i do think it does at least i hope so uh <laughs> because uh uh i kind of got interested in the android app security thing and you know the bug bounty field with the Android app security because this is not a really, not like a super popular field. A few people do it and there are not a lot of resources and stuff. So I, you know, I just kind of thought it's interesting and I maybe get a bit more involved in that. So I, now I'm doing an Android course or like, a, mm, like lessons and stuff. And, uh, you know, besides school, I'm, I'm kind of doing this on the weekdays. Uh, so I'm learning development side of Android so that I can understand <clears throat> the attack side better because uh, you know learning the attacks without understanding how it works is not good, not that great. Also side effect I probably will learn how to make Android apps and uh, I mean that's cool <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it's a positive thing in both ways uh, and the after then with the course, I think I'm trying to get back to bug bounty and um, try out the stuff I learned, I guess. It's mostly development yet, but, you know, I don't know, maybe uh, use this uh, to learn more about the app security. But I think it's it's always worth to put in the investment because now I'm probably doing one month or pr around one month just learning uh, Android uh, and you know it's you could be doing more bug bounty and stuff in one month uh and and uh, but it's 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 a kind of an investment i i think 
because later you might benefit from it. You probably will benefit from it more. So you just, I think you just have to invest a bit of time in it, in these things sometimes. Yeah. Are we going back and forth? Do you have something or? I, I, I don't know. I feel like I covered most of the stuff. Oh, okay. <laughs> then I, um, then we can finish it I up. I mean, I have, or we have, I have, I, I can tell a bit about the other projects I'm doing and the events I'm going to. Um, oh, then, then, then go, go with, go ahead with that. And then I will tell the story. The last All right. story. Everything is a bit improvised today because we didn't really prepare good enough. Yeah. <laughs> but that's all right. Um, yeah, so basically what I'm working on right now is, yeah, the, the project Cody talked about. I, I can't really describe it like he does. It's <laughs> He hypes it up so much. I, I would just say something like, uh, yeah, we uh, sniff probe requests. <laughs> Uh, but, but yeah, this this pr- project uh, I'm really hyped about. Uh, then um, I don't know. Travis made a lot of new bots recently. He's trying a different approach now, and uh, I like it. It this is also giving kind of my passion back because he uh, yesterday a few new office bots came. They have uh, LCD displays now, so much more you can do with them. But he dropped the prices, so they are even more cheaper. And um, because of another project I was thinking about, I looked at other ESP boards, you know, something that is super cheap, but has a connector for LiPo batteries and hopefully an uh, RGB LED or something. And I couldn't really find something. Uh, the, 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 The stuff I found was either way too expensive or it was missing one component and I couldn't simply add that component. For example, they were uh, bought super cheap with a lot of LEDs and stuff, but it didn't have a USB connection or any sorts of power thing. Or or other things had that, but they lacked the RGB LED or or some whatever. Uh, And now I realized, hey, Travis, like his boards become like really good uh, in terms of quality now and they're pretty cheap. And um, yeah, I have these new boards lying here and they give me new ideas, kind of what I could do with them because ESP is so powerful now, <laughs> especially with the current software support. So that, uh, oh, okay, I talked uh, already a lot about the hackerspace. Then of course we have this podcast. Um, uh, that's that's basically it, what I'm working on. Uh, I still kind of involved with the whole Malduino thing, but there's not much happening right now, mostly because I don't have time. Uh, <laughs> uh, but but that's basically it. I don't really work on much else, maybe some side projects, uh, but just well, most of the time I'm just researching right now. Also, I don't know what to do with the Patreon. Uh, <laughs> we, by the way, I'm saying this because uh, we shouldn't forget to mention those that are still left <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and pay enough to be called out here. Uh, I have to give an update post, but right now I'm so caught up in exams. It's kind of complicated to do much right now anyway. Yeah. Uh, um, that's so much for the projects. Uh, then events. I just want to quickly go over that. We have the Mini, Mini Maker Fair in Darmstadt, which I will attend in... When is it? The 23rd of February. So like, oh, it's in a week. <laughs> less less than a week when this comes out. Um, this will be interesting. Their motto is uh, blockchain meets uh, Internet of Things. Like, what the fuck? 
<laughs> there, this is so weird. I don't know what to expect, but it's reading reading into this. It feels like people. It's just industry people overhyping shit. And I don't know how this fits into a maker fair, but we will just go there because it's nearby and we're gonna visit the uh the, the, the hackerspace in Darmstadt where Foal lives and visits. I mean he doesn't live in the hackerspace. He <laughs> goes to the hackerspace and lives in Darmstadt. Uh but that will be interesting also for, you know, kind of networking because of the hackerspace, finding people, you know. Uh then the embedded world is a huge conference about st- everything that is embedded like the whole microcontroller stuff everything uh in in nuremberg on it starts on 26th of february which will be the only day i will be there because it will be kind of a one-way trip you know go there in the morning leave in the uh, evening um why because it's free if you have a voucher code and they are like everywhere on the internet and we found these on in university and uh, taking the train there is a bit expensive but not that expensive and will be interesting i will meeting uh, a few people there hopefully and uh, i don't think i can say much about that yet uh, but uh, yeah hopefully that will be cool if anyone goes to embedded world uh, let me know on twitter or something and all the other events not sure yet if and when and how i will be going there but there is the maker fair berlin which i really hope to visit uh i think dave which was also on c3 dave darko uh he does a lot of cool stuff check him out online uh he will probably have his own little booth there and sell his badges so that that will be cool uh, then of course we have Defcon because of the whole talk <laughs> we talked about that. Make a fair Hanover. I was there last year. I probably won't make it this year. I still have it in the list because I want to try. But it's kind of hard. It's like Defcon one week later. Make a for fair Hano- Hanover, <laughs> and then one week later uh, the CCC camp. <laughs> yeah, pretty tight it's schedule. Pretty there. tight. Uh, hmm. CCC camp. It will be awesome. I, I still no idea how we're gonna make it, but we have to make it somehow. <laughs> uh, activity. Oh yeah. Uh, also no idea. This is kind of <laughs> your territory, David. <laughs> oh yeah, that would be interesting. You you coming to Budapest? That would be fun. <laughs> I, I hope so. Again, also no idea if yeah, and how. But the future, I try. Futuristic plans here, but yeah, that would be fun. Yeah, and then of course thirty sixty three, which is a must. Yeah. Hmm. That that I can say for sure. I will be on thirty sixty three. Yeah. So you went uh, to yeah, that's pretty the much events. Uh, yeah. So here comes my final. <laughs> I don't really have any uh, projects or events or that kind of stuff at the moment going on, but uh, I have a little story or experiment or I don't even know. So it all started with uh, Space Hunt sent me. The, this video titled The Scientific Benefits of Boredom uh, uh, and I didn't watch it <clears throat> and after a month or so I I did watch it uh, because I put it in my to-do list and then in in a month I, I don't know I, I kind of stumbled upon it and I was like oh shit Space Sun sent me this uh, or I don't know what, let's just watch this and um and then I watched it, and it was really good. So I don't know why I didn't watch it uh, before. Um, it it uh, it talked about how much time we spend on our phones and uh, how much I don't know. You know, uh, uh, we use these apps, which are basically 
only to uh, get us away from boredom, but uh, they don't really provide any benefits. They are just there to make us not feel bored. And uh, uh, the video also talked about how beneficial boredom is uh, because those when you are bored that's when you're you have new ideas and new uh new you know uh you think about stuff you think about you plan your i don't know he talked about planning your future and you're planning your your basically your your life you you kind of think about stuff because you don't you don't have anything to keep your mind busy so you you are gonna think about stuff uh that's what's happening when you're bored so you know that's actually not that bad so i kind of got got quite hyped uh, after watching the video um and then there was another video of like no phone challenge uh for one week uh so i it was recommended in the after the scientific benefits of boredom so i watched that as well and i was I was at this point quite hyped that I'm gonna do something like this. So yeah, uh, I didn't really have the motivation to do it alone, but uh, with my girlfriend, we we both deleted uh, all of these apps with a feed uh, from our phone. So, you know, basically you have Twitter, you have uh, Reddit, you have uh, Instagram. That was the three that I deleted at first. And, uh, you know, these were on the home screen and you, you you are just basically clicking them most of the time by muscle memory. So you're not even thinking about it. So you just uh, click on it. So what I decided to do is is make uh, uh, Rick, Ashley, Rick Ashley, that's how you pronounce it, never going to give you up uh, <laughs> shortcuts and put it uh, to the place where Instagram, Twitter and Reddit was. So if I click on the place where Instagram was, never gonna give you apps gonna start and I'm gonna recrawl myself. So <laughs> that was that was great. I, I did click great on idea. it. I did click on it I think a few times, but uh it actually lowered the amount because I kinda realized just before clicking it like oh shit. Uh so mm, yeah that was fun. But uh yeah and the experience, you know, it, it was not easy in high school because in high school uh, you are there and you can't really do anything and uh, you are just scrolling Instagram, scrolling Twitter and doing all kind of stuff. But now that I don't have any, I didn't have any feeds uh, on my phone, I had to figure out something else. Uh, and what I noticed that is, is even though you deleted all of these apps, you are going to find something. So... First, uh, I didn't delete YouTube because uh, I kind of thought that YouTube is, you know, it's just video watching app. You're not gonna, you're, there is no feed, so you are not gonna just scroll it. Uh, what happens is that after I don't know three or four week, uh, three or four days, I realized that uh, in the morning and I don't know, in sometimes I'm just scrolling the YouTube recommended feed and I'm watching random videos in the YouTube uh, home feed. So even though I didn't have any other apps, I used YouTube now. So I was like, okay, I'm going to delete YouTube as well. And I put a never going to give you up in the place of YouTube as well. So to make it all the same. Um, 
and after that, in the morning, I realized I'm scrolling TripAdvisor. So <clears throat> at that point, <laughs> you know that you you're gonna find something. If if not that, then the I don't know the sleep app, which is for sleep tracking. You are gonna scroll something. So uh, the point is that you're gonna find something, but. Um, after deleting YouTube and everything, basically, I started to feel like, you know, when I pulled out my phone, I wanted to press something, but then I thought like, oh, there is nothing to press. So all of the apps were like, you know, nothing, not, not as exciting. So also I felt like for the same in school that, oh shit, uh, I don't have anything to press. Or I, most of the time I just unlocked the phone and then logged it again because I unlocked it. I was trying to press something and, uh, but there was nothing. So I just unlo- I logged it again. So, but, uh, after all of this, I found myself that when I had time, uh, for example, I didn't have a class in school. I, uh, opened, uh, audible, uh, so, and I listened to audiobook rather than, uh, you know, for example, watching random videos on YouTube or scrolling Instagram or Twitter. So actually this is working because, uh, you know, the stuff which is not as exciting, but uh, more useful and more productive actually becomes the most exciting thing you can do on your phone. So you are going to do that. Uh, I don't think you will be bored. Uh, If you want to be bored, then you will just have to leave your phone uh, behind altogether because uh, unless you if you have your phone with you you're just gonna find random stuff you're gonna you know click on google maps and click on i don't know weather or gallery or anything because it, you just want to click on something so if you have your phone with you you're probably gonna use it if you're bored um but yeah uh opening for example audible is a great is a great uh, way that i listen to audiobook rather than you know uh, scrolling something randomly so it it, it actually became a, uh, more productive I'm, I still don't have the apps I now logged into Twitter uh, in the browser to make a tweet uh, and it's weird because I already felt the craving to you know watch how many likes the tweet got and all of that but uh, it was it, it, that's for another story I didn't do any experiments with that one but it's weird how after you tweet at least for me you are like super interested in how many likes you get and if you don't watch it then you, you yeah you are just craving to you know look at the twitter notifications and see what's happening uh, but yeah i didn't didn't get didn't get any notifications because it i didn't have the app i only had uh, the browser I Twitter. I only had Twitter in the browser. So yeah. So that's that's for another day uh, about you know how you want to have likes on social media and how you care probably way too much about what other people think about you on social media. That's that's an interesting topic, but not for now. I I had this uh, no feed challenge this is not a challenge but uh, this became something like i deleted all of these apps with a feed from the phone so yeah a great great experiment uh, if you feel like you are scrolling all of these apps like instagram and then you i i felt like this is i don't even care about what that is i'm just scrolling it so if you feel the same then try it try deleting everything with a feed and then you will see that uh, 
yeah, you're gonna do more useful things that you have on your phone probably, but uh, it's still not a not a one-way solution. Like, but there it, it definitely improves improves a lot of things. So that's yeah, interesting. I think that's that's all. Uh, yeah, mostly that's that's all I got for <laughs> another another today. one deleted the patron. <laughs> oh. I went to the page so we can uh, shout out to the people that are still patrons. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I just gonna do it right now. Uh, thanks, Adrian, Eric, Yendrik, Kerry, and Textmate. Textmate is still a patron, which I find amazing. <laughs> Support this is This is great. Yeah. Even though he's banned from this. But yeah. Um, thanks everyone i need to make like more stuff oh this is this is the kind of feeling i get you need you know i i need to make more stuff i need to make more videos i need to get more stuff out there to kind of please this this audience but on the same uh on the same hand i kind of feel like why um yeah yeah <laughs> it's like why okay the patrons are paying me in a way but it's kind of voluntarily so they of course they can stop i'm not mad it's just uh then then i feel double bad because i haven't posted on patreon in like months this is really bad but also uh, i'm i'm super busy with exams and i'm already working on uh 10 other things at the same time and ah uh, feel bad about it i don't know have to find a solution for this i thought about just opening the patreon i i did in the beginning i did some update posts and i thought okay maybe that's interesting and i just gonna show it to the ones that are patrons so there's at least a little uh a tiny bit of content why people maybe are more willingly to pay for the patreon um but now i think i should probably just uh make everything open and just say in the in the yeah in the welcome text uh, of my Patreon page, hey, uh, like there is no extra content you get here if you become a patron, other than maybe you know getting shout out here or, or getting stickers if you pay that amount or whatever. <laughs> okay, yeah. but there is no extra content I make just for patrons other than that, so that people know and everything is open and it's just like a donation thing because other people on patreon they they sell out like heavily <laughs> but uh, i, I yeah, can't I mean, do that yeah but it's not the same situation so it's not your uh not that you're like a creator with uh with an income dependent on patreon so it's a bit of a different thing i think i don't know I don't know. It's still important the page, even though it's it's just a little bit. Uh, it's kind of it makes a change, even oh, like yeah, little amounts make I mean, a change. It's not that it, it it's there is no point. It's just it's more like a donation than uh, something in response in you know for a service. So you are not getting a lot of extras. It's more like donating, but and you know some people use Patreon to give back to the people who buy it. So they have like uh, you know some kind of videos or like resources that no uh you have to yeah. be a patron but it's, it's i asked not... on twitter and uh i got one or two responses that i should maybe make more like maybe something tutorial kind of like that 
like make tutorials or explain something about the ESPs or Arduino or something like that. Uh, but no, I can't. If if I do that, I will have even less time to do other stuff, which will also lead to less people being patron. So and also, I feel like it's kind of unfair to the people that are not patrons. So it's kind of a dilemma here. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, I can't make content just for patrons. It's not. It's there is no payoff for me here. Uh, I think Patreon even, is even though they're like, literally paying for it. I think Patreon is more like for people supporting uh, you, and that's it's 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 like a donation. You should, I mean, in my opinion, but yeah, maybe there is a better way. It's not it's not solved yet. Let's just keep it at that. Yeah, um, I I probably update it after this whole chaos of exams is over then i'll have some time and yeah gonna change this the, the whole system and i also have at least two videos i have to make <laughs> just for uh the new boards from travis and and showing uh and yeah the updated what is it uh the off detector yeah hmm. yeah it's that and Patreon is also there, so it's, you can't really manage everything. But yeah. Ah, but yeah, that's time. pretty much it, right? Did Not you read anything? Should we read the Patreon people again? Because it kind of <laughs> went out. Adrian, of... Eric, Yendrik, Kerry, Textmate. Thank you. Thank you. For Thank you for staying us. with us. Yeah, you are really. Uh, yeah. Great, thank you, thank you for your support because a lot of people are leaving, but uh, the podcast is still uh, run by you guys. I think the hosting is still run by you guys, so thank you for your help, basically, um, because otherwise we couldn't host the podcast. So uh, I think uh, we should, I should do my part right here. Yeah. Yeah. So, (coughs) you know what this is going to be, because uh, if you listen to the previous episodes, (laughs) then you know what this is going to be. I am uh, talking to you. Uh, This really sounds like some pretty shitty, sketchy salesman tactic or something, but whatever. Uh, I'm, I'm talking to you right now, listening to this. If you are here listening and uh, you think I'm not talking to you, you are wrong. Because I am. Uh, because there are not a lot of people who listen to this whole podcast. And if you listen to the whole thing, then we are interested in your feedback about the the podcast. So be sure to give us feedback, maybe on Discord or on Twitter or on uh, basically anywhere uh, where we can see you uh, on Twitter you can use the hashtag insecure space or on discord you can message us in the on space on server uh, basically uh, it doesn't matter so uh, we are interested in your feedback and what do you think about this new style that we have uh, guests on the podcast more often or as often we can to get different topics and different people with different experiences to talk about uh, talk about stuff. Uh, so um, yeah, I'm talking to you. Uh, you think you're not special? You are. Uh, so thank you for listening to the whole thing, and 
I think we are uh, without we basically said anything and we can just finish this episode up yeah maybe one thing so with the whole guest situation the idea is that we kind of we still talk about what's like on our minds I mean our whole concept is this kind of what's going on in our hacker maker whatever life Uh, because there are podcasts but they are usually just either focused on entirely only the projects and kind of not the context around it or or what is going on in such a life uh, or they are super focused on technical things or news or whatever and our idea is that we bring in uh, guests like Cody today just more regularly so it's not just us two doing the podcast but uh, yeah that we switch guests often that sometimes maybe we talk with four people like we are four people in 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 the podcast not just our two uh people will come again and it's not just that we made this one episode with um with jack but that was kind of like interview style or, or, or story time i don't know because we all talked about the same thing but the idea is with the guests that we have kind of like an open exchange like today that like you know we share a story they share a story we just casually dive into topics way too deep that we didn't expect <laughs> yeah but like it's today, really good i think i think everyone has a different yeah. experience and having new people talk about their experience and stuff that we maybe don't have is i think it it can be gives, really interesting gives diversity to this yeah yeah definitely so i think it's really good that's pretty much it uh then thanks for listening and for those that still support us <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, see you in a month or so oh <laughs> uh, yeah yeah oh oof <laughs> we we try to make it more regularly but it's kind of hard right now but yeah uh we'll try our best so we try our best yeah thank you for listening and uh bye 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 bye